the basement where nerdiness thrives and grown men rant about toys. <laughs> Jason Mewes pop up as a ghost. I expected Dante and fucking Becky. Oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> but no, they got busted. They're they're in the trap. They're gone. They're in the containment unit already. They're back at the firehouse that even though Dan, Dan said it was a Starbucks, it turns out it's not. Thank you. That is in my notes. Right off the bat, I want to point that out, that it's like, come on. <laughs> There's a point in this movie, y'all, when you first see Ray stands uh, and he mentions how things went down and he says they lost the firehouse and that it is now a Starbucks. Well, there is two uh, post-credit scenes and on the final one, you have Winston talking about Basically, throw, dropping hints, he's going to reopen the thing. Well, then he walks into the firehouse, the rundown firehouse. firehouse. The rundown-ass firehouse. Number one, number one, if this was a Starbucks, where did the Starbucks go? Number two, how is the firehouse still there? Run the fuck down. Uh, if it, uh, it, that, that's just annoying. Yeah, well, because... Somebody had to have pointed out, like, Dan Aykroyd more than likely improvised the Starbucks thing, and they probably all laughed on set, and it probably clouded, like, nobody, no script supervisor was like, hey, wait a second. Yeah, like, like, somebody should have fixed something really quick. And the thing with Winston was probably one of the first things to be filmed, honestly. Like, they probably filmed that back, in, like, shortly after the 2016 one. Yeah, that probably could have been like, you know, like a proof of concept or something. It really feels like one of those teaser trailers, like in the early 2000s, like when they tried to do that, like, Mortal Kombat movie that became the Legacy miniseries, and they had Michael Jai White as Jax. It started as, like, this trailer in 2011, like, yeah. what if Kombat was, like, The Dark Knight or something like that? It's like, yeah. That's what it feels like. Like, you could have just uploaded the short with Janine and Ernie Hudson. Huh? Yeah, that's uh, 
feels like that could have been a uh, Super Bowl commercial. Oh my god, there are things in here that feel like they could have been SNL sketches, Super Bowl commercials, more so towards the end of the movie. Like, this is the first time I've watched the movie since the movie theater, and unlike the 2016 movie, where I was very vocal, like, on my YouTube channel, on my Facebook page, just, like, about how I was feeling about it, it's like, this kind of came and went, and I was pretty silent, just because I didn't really know what to do with this one. Like, I know I didn't hate it when I saw it, but... Like, I just kind of felt like something was off. Um, also, just in the slew of nostalgic movies coming out, there just comes to a point where you're just kind of fatigued, your eyes kind of gloss over, and you just kind of are like, yeah, okay, this is what I'm getting. But my second time around was a lot more, I would say, positive watching it. Um, like, I enjoyed what I watched, but I have more so just, like, nitpicks and suggestions on just how it could have been tighter. There's just a lot of loose ends and, like, just offhand things in this movie that really um, bog it down, I would say. Yeah. Uh, so before, like always, before we get into the review where we ask everybody, uh, hey, what are your thoughts? Uh, we're reviewing this movie, and... Some of you have, uh, you might have some different uh, comments than I have. Um, yeah, I'm looking at the basement, the Fresh from the Facebook group. Um, and if I want to kick it off, I see a comment from Mike Benbow, who's a good buddy of mine. And he said, it definitely over-delivered for me. I went in with low expectations and was very pleasantly surprised. I dug the story, the throwbacks. We all saw the twist, in quotes, a mile away, but it was still done well, in my opinion. Um, I would say I dug aspects of the story, and some of the throwbacks were cool, but some were really, like, unnecessary. Like, stuff that even me, as, like, a super big Ghostbusters nerd, I wouldn't have even thought to put in as fan service. Um, so over-delivered, for sure, in certain aspects. Under-delivered in others, in terms of, like, a Ghostbusters movie set in a small town. Yeah, I'll, I'll say there was a couple things I do believe were uh, under-delivered. Maybe, maybe one big thing, I believe, is under-delivered, uh, but we'll get to that when I get in my notes. I'll read this one. This one is really funny. Zach, oh, Zach Jones. Um, <laughs> Yeah, my brother here, uh, Zach's is hilarious, because I remember him uh, saying all this when the movie came out. Zach says, saw it once. I was bored out of my mind. I feel like they totally mishandled Egon, making him an absent father who abandoned his family and friends to chase ghosts on his own. And the OG busters come in at the last five minutes for a cameo. And don't get me started on CGI Harold Ramis. Get, uh, uh, ghost. Oh my god, just wow. The baby buster were annoying as hell. Fat kid who does podcast name is podcast. Egon's granddaughter was so annoying, always pushing her glasses up in every scene. I saw her do it a few times, but I'm not gonna lie, dude. You gotta push your glasses up. Yeah, I wear, I wear safety glasses all day at work, and I'm constantly, nerdily, uh, pushing my glasses back up. That's why I responded to him. I was like, I pushed my glasses up just reading this post. <laughs> 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 but 
But I can't say I disagree. That's also what I said where, well, there actually is some points once we get into the notes that I found myself disagreeing with. But overall, I get the reaction because this was kind of the back and forth I was having in my head for the first time as well. 100% I agree with the podcast kid's name is podcast. Like, yeah, that's dumb. It's what would have been a harmless character, like, down many pegs. Yeah, that was dumb. And then the fact that uh, he gave himself that nickname. He says, I call myself podcast because I do podcasts. Like, you gave yourself that nickname? Like, Truth be told, kids do give themselves some pretty stupid, like, and they do stuff like that, but, eh, yeah. we'll get more into that. <laughs> um, so, what else do you have? Uh, Anthony Mormile? Yeah, an old, old buddy of mine and Zach's from way back in the day, like, back in, like, 1999. Alright, so their friendship is as long as my lifespan, so we're awesome, <laughs> we're good here. Um... He says, most of the movies and TV shows suck nowadays because they're only focused on diversity, uh, equality, and inclusion with their writers and staff at the expense of talent and skill. And, I, go that ahead. That is an interesting talking point. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is like, which has nothing to do with this, because I wouldn't say that this movie suffers from any sort of uh, forced diversity, as people say. Um, this movie just... No, nothing felt really forced in this one per se, and I personally don't have a problem with it as long as, like, yeah, you don't kind of see the writer's room at work, you yeah. know what I mean? Um, and even, maybe even the, the line, I did like this line when another stupid name, her name is Lucky, uh... She was her name. Yeah, I just, no offense to the actress, like, her name in my notes was just girl. <laughs> but she makes the line when they first go in the mine and they say something like, Gozer is neither he nor she, and she says, pretty woke for, like, 3000 B.C. or something. And I was like, eh, that was, a, that was pretty cute. She goes, like, well, progressive. And I was like, yeah, that is a pretty funny line. And then um, there was another one where podcast was talking to Phoebe, and she's like, and they're talking about the conspiracy theories. And he's like, where'd you think the, uh, where'd you think the pyramids come from? And Phoebe's like, slaves. Yeah. <laughs> pretty dark joke for a movie that's really going for more whimsy over uh, dry humor. You know? yeah. I mean, that's a big talking point in my notes that we'll get to. But just shout out to that, that they did get away with some pretty... Uh, dark jokes, and nothing in that regard. Yeah, nothing like overly dark, but kind of like, ah, I see what you're doing. More so than I would expect a, uh, a modern movie of a big franchise to uh, to go for. And it's such a quick joke, too. So yeah, like, yeah. Uh, but yeah, more Miles, uh, more Miles little comment here. Um, I can't necessarily disagree with him, but it's also a topic that I uh, I am not ready to uh, uh, get into yeah because there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of stuff to talk about that and that has nothing to do with what we're talking about exactly if we were to put it all on a metric it would just be like a podcast or a video essay of its own which yeah yeah people probably have already made or more exactly which is stuff. stuff I don't really do. 
Ah, uh, you know. <laughs> it's not that I don't care. It's like I'm probably not the mind you want to like poke at for like the hot topics. You know, I'm yeah. here to talk about this shit. I'm here to talk about proton packs. Yeah, we're here to fucking talk about ghosts and children. <laughs> And gozers and zools. Yes, only zool. There is no diversity, only zool. There you go. And that is the answer to that question. (laughs) Then on, um, I believe this was on the uh, Cut to the Chase podcast, uh, Lacey Lou says, Need more Ghostbusters. Or needed more Ghostbusters. That moment at the end was really heartfelt, and no, you can never go wrong with my man Paul Rudd. Thankfully, he was doing this so he couldn't be in that shit show that was Halloween Kills to reprise Tommy Doyle. <laughs> with fair, that is a fair point. Yeah, I agree with the Paul Rudd thing for sure. And one thing I just love about Lacey's takes on movies is the positivity. Yeah. Uh, most of the internet, like, is sold on, let's tear a movie apart, let's do this, let's do that, uh, like, with the criticism, like, going deep into pointing out everything that's wrong, her takeaways are always, like, I appreciated this, this was really cool, and even with something she didn't enjoy, there's always, like, I don't know, an upbeat energy to it that's just, I, I think, <laughs> so... This post really went a long way for me because I'm 100% at the Paul Rudd camp. I was surprised when I saw the trailer um, because I had made a YouTube video way, way back in the day. In the day. It's probably like six years ago, probably, so that feels long for me. Where I did, like, a version of, like, what if there was a new Ghostbusters team? And Paul Rudd was definitely one of those comedic actor choices where I feel like an Ivan Reitman comedy would have really been up his alley. I didn't expect them to put him in the role that they put him in. Yeah, I would have expected him to be a silly buster or like a brand new buster uh, as opposed to, uh, you know, new dad, silly new dad. Uh, well, he kind of fills in the, uh, the Rick Moranis role, which is just not what... Yeah, not a... There you go. ...see from a Paul Rudd Ghostbuster. I would have personally loved to see him put on the pack. And uh, that does make a little sense. It's just not as nerdy. Uh, and then a, a David Mannion, or Mannion says, I watched half of this and really liked it, but something came up and I forgot to get back to it and finish it. So I really need to watch it from the beginning and finish I guess it does kind of have that quality when you're not in the theater, because, like, that happened to me today. Like, I had to wrap it up today, and since you were watching it today, I was like, fuck, might as well go back to the beginning and really round out my notes. Um, But I do feel like uh, the pacing at times could have that effect on you, where you can kind of look at your clock or just, you know. Also, people are just busy. Yeah, the movie is two hours. Two hours and four minutes. So uh, throw in, uh, you know, let's roughly say 10, 15-ish minutes of credits. This is a long uh, movie that for me, I'm not going to lie, I didn't necessarily feel the length. Uh, I thought the pacing was fairly decent. I would say it's 
kind of up and down for me. There are times where it feels like it's moving really fast, um, and then there are other times I was like, fuck, like, we just got the Dan Aykroyd and we're an hour in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we still have an hour left. Yeah. So, right before we get into uh, the, the review, I, there, there's a thing I, I want to say uh, that this movie... It does two things. Two things that are part of a... There, there are a few Hollywood trends right now, and this thing is doing two of them. Uh, number one would be the... Uh, uh, the Legacy sequel. Let's bring a sequel back roughly 30 years later with some original cast members. Characters have links to the... Uh, original characters, a lot of fan service, uh, and a lot of going back to the first movie. Uh, and then the other thing, the other movie, and even TV series trend this movie does is the, uh, you would call it uh, Stranger Things Syndrome, uh, where you have young kids uh, fighting either monsters or supernatural creatures, and most of the adult world is oblivious to it. Back in the day, I have. Uh, back in the day, that was a big thing uh, with movies like E.T., Monster Squad, Goonies, and even in the 90s with Hocus Pocus. Then it kind of went away for a while, and a lot of people, a lot of people attribute uh, Stranger Things for bringing this style of um, story back, but really. Uh, it was the first Ghost uh, Goosebumps movie um, that sort of brought this format back, and maybe Stranger Things made it popular again, and then everybody wanted to do it. But if you even want to go back a little further, you could say that J.J. Uh, Abrams' uh, Super 8 uh, did it first, and then... But like that had that came with little fanfare and nobody remembers it. Nobody remembers that one. It is kind of proto Stranger Things where it's Diane Spielberg. Yeah. Another thing too is it's trying to tap, especially Stranger Things. It's trying to tap into a very specific vibe that eighties films kind of gave. It's trying to bring back even the way that first season shot, which I really love. Like there's even like a grit on the camera that's trying to make it hit that certain sweet spot of, like, 80s nostalgia while still trying to do something new. Yeah. They say that, like, what is it, like, to be retro, it's every, like, what, 20 or 30 years? Yeah, roughly, know? yeah. Like, Stranger Things gave the 80s nostalgia, like, an extra decades boost, where you're right, it kind of, like, the 80s nostalgia, you could say, like, was kind of, or just retro nostalgia, you go all the way back to the early 2010s, stuff like Scott Pilgrim, where just even using video game sound effects and stuff like that was already being deemed retro, and then Stranger Things really uh, sparked what you're pointing out when it comes to, like, mainstream movies and bringing back these franchises. Yeah, and I have inspired by these franchises, and it somehow was, like, the resurrection spell that brought them all back from the dead. Yeah. And I, have a, I, have a, I was trying to make a list of movies and shows that are, ha, are and have done this, but then I drew a blank. It blew me away. 
but, you know, obviously this Ghostbusters is doing that. The It did it, which also, weirdly enough, features Finn Wolfhard, who is in this, and Stranger Things. And then there's the other series, Lock and Key, which probably is my favorite out of all of this kids fighting monsters uh, shit. I think Lock and Key was pretty damn phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, another Stephen King link, and actually a uh, an explanation on why the adults are oblivious to the shit going on, which uh, I kind of actually thought was kind of cool. Yeah, uh, I need to check out Lock and Key. I've heard a lot of good things about it, and um, I think Force Awakens is definitely another good uh, example in how this movie can be. Without Force Awakens, I don't think this movie would have been yeah. Like, Force Awakens definitely brought the uh, the whole legacy sequel thing and made it popular as shit. Like, it did for legacy sequels that Stranger Things did for the kids fighting monsters. Uh, yeah, it truly was a legacy sequel. Like, some people call it a soft reboot, which it is in certain ways, but it really isn't. Like, the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies are soft reboots because even though you have old-ass Spock, it's technically its own universe. Yeah. It's starting. Like, it's not really a legacy sequel. Yeah, uh, because both, both time, there's two separate timelines, uh, whereas legacy sequel continues the original continuity. Yeah, so if there was, like, a rule set to, like, how we categorize these movies, that would definitely have to be, like, a rule that's set. And yeah. it's, like, no alternate timelines, you know, it has to be in the real world of, uh, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I would highly recommend uh, Lock and Key. Uh, to me, it has a it has a whole lot of imagination on how that world works and stuff. And um, uh, there's not there there aren't many shows that uh, I, well, I can say this with, but the shit the shit is like the show was magical. <laughs> All right, great. <laughs> Uh, and another thing that this movie is is uh, normally normally uh, I, I I I I use this phrase most of the time with uh, artists and bands, uh, but this movie is the apology movie because you know it was very it always felt disrespectful that for all these years they tried to do a ghostbusters 3 a true ghostbusters 3 closest we got was that video game uh and then as soon as as soon as Harold Ramis died it's like boom screw everybody we're doing girlbusters <clears throat> and they went hardcore in it, threw a lot of money at it, got a whole lot of people in it. And the thing is, is like I said before, everyone 30, 40 years from now will remember Ghostbusters, but they will not remember the remake. Um, and so this is definitely the apology. After that movie did pretty horribly, it wasn't too long after that when it was like, boom, Dan Aykroyd and everybody's working on a true sequel that will ignore the events of uh, Ghostbusters Answer the Call. And I'm glad that excuse me, they didn't go with the original idea for the response to um, the Girlbusters movie where they were going to do an all-guy one again, but it was going to be like Jonah Hill and Channing 
It would have been 21 Jump Street, but <clears throat> not as good. For me personally, the whole problem with the 2016 one was beyond the controversy. Like, there was no controversy for me when it came to the actresses, the actresses who were cast. Yeah. Like, it's just the execution of the movie that was bad. It was like, just not funny. It was funny. There. Because that's that subjective. I said the only one. Both this and Afterlife kind of the true spirit of Ghostbusters, but in two different ways. Like I said, Kate McKinnon was the only character in that movie that I felt could actually work. Uh, <clears throat> she was a little more over the top than she uh, probably should have been, but she was the only one that I was like, yeah, this is... I see what y'all are doing with her, and I think she could definitely... If you had her and Egon in a room together, uh, they would probably destroy the universe. She would have worked in the real Ghostbusters. She could have easily been in, like, the cartoon. And that's kind of what I feel like Ghostbusters as a franchise, if we're really going to continue it, I don't think movies are the way to go. And same thing with Star Wars, where the success is really, well, not so much with Star Wars anymore, because they're overdoing it with the TV shows. But <laughs> Ghostbusters could have worked with a new, like, maybe 3D animated series on Nickelodeon, a la Ninja Turtles, or with a new team, even if you wanted to. Um, or, you know, I think Red Letter Media used the title The Legacy of Egon Spangler, where I agree that some of the ideas in this movie aren't bad, but probably could have used, like, an HBO spin-off, like, miniseries to really flesh out, oh, the Evo, the Evo Shandor small town, like, the whole mythology of this. And you know, so yeah. Us, a rushed remake of Ghostbusters 1 at the end. Because, yeah, like, they, you know, the original cartoon, uh, it was basically its own sequel. And then, weirdly enough, they sort of did its own legacy sequel with, was it Ghostbusters Extreme? Yes, yeah, Extreme Ghostbusters. That's which, what it was. That's another point I wanted to make where I feel like that worked with kids fighting Ghostbusters because they were college age, so they were still... Uh, yeah, it wasn't putting it wasn't putting twelve year olds in danger. <laughs> yeah, exactly, and also just like unrealistic. I feel like a lot of people like I'm willing to work with this movie. Like this second watch, like I was a lot more accepting than I thought I was going to be. But the suspension of disbelief really is hard to get over. With it's like the proton pack's not a toy. Egon even said it in Ghostbusters too. It's like these are these are kids. And even in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, they tried to do, like, the junior Ghostbusters, and those episodes all sucked. <laughs> it never really, like, the whole kid Ghostbusters, I get what marketing people think when they try to do, uh, do this, where it's like, kids want somebody to relate to, because they want to be the Ghostbusters, but it's like, yeah, no, exactly, they want to be the, the real Ghostbusters, not, you know, they want to be Batman, not Robin. Yeah. So, the movie... After a do. Yeah, the movie I starts off... Um, and the movie starts off, I like the vibe, man. I like the way... Uh, obviously, uh, you, got, you're right, so you got this coal mining mountain deal... And you don't know at first, but it's Egon uh, speeding out of there. Um, shit's following him. 
something you don't see, some kind of entity, and he runs to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, uh, very Evil Dead uh, inspired, and he gets to uh, his farm, and he's got this trap, and it doesn't work. We got Star Wars sound effects as it's like shutting down. Uh, and we get a little insight into like this crappy little farmhouse that he's been living in, where you almost kind of get like Emmett Brown vibes from yeah. kind of become like the mad scientist. He's got his little doodads, old place. Which, you know what, dude? Based on our evaluation of his character's personality in our first uh, Ghostbusters retro, I think it makes sense that his character would just go completely nuts and become a fucking recluse and just take all this shit for himself. That's what I was thinking, too. A lot of people really uh, couldn't wrap their heads around that, but we we had, we had the know-how, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, we picked up on the signs long before anybody else did, before it was too late, you know? Yeah. This yeah. man was unhinged. And yeah. seeing the moment, like, he just snapped, and it was all gone. And yeah. he fled. Because you gotta, you, you gotta think, man. You, you, I'm gonna tell everybody, watch the first two, yeah, definitely the first one, and just pay attention to him. Pay attention to his mannerisms. He's already uncomfortable being around people anyway. Uh, so it would eventually just happen. He gets his, he, you can all, when he explains the whole ancient Sumerian and goes or stuff in the first movie, his face lights up and he smiles like you've never seen before. Like he is into this shit. So already he's got a massive knowledge of crazy wild occult shit and uh, absolutely believes everything about it. And what's the Shandor guy, so why not go to the heart? Like, bro, this guy built a whole town. Like, I think, yo, I'm going there. Yeah, so it, it definitely makes sense for, based on our uh, evaluation of his mindset. Even if he was concerned sense. there was a looming threat, I will get to the Dan Aykroyd scene, but even if he was concerned it was a looming threat, the way we have um, analyzed him, like, he still would have gone just out of his own sick curiosity anyway. Yeah. So... And uh, it's just a secluded house in the middle of nowhere, so, you know, no room for screams or anything like that. He could take a couple of his uh, victims. Yeah, exactly. He's probably got some bodies in there. He's probably he's probably doing weird near-death experiences and shit, trying to find the soul of the body. Yeah, because the moment he gets caught by the ghost, you see his little soul flee out, and you never have really seen that with humans in the uh, Ghostbusters universe. But also, you've never seen anyone really die in the Ghostbuster movies either. It's true, it's true. This is probably the first time, like, uh, motherfuckers get killed. At least two that I can think of, him and uh, uh, that, the guy who built the town or whatever shit. Oh my god, yeah. Evo Shandor, his name is basically Evil. Oh, I didn't catch on to that. Evil Shandor. I don't know if, like, the Shandor is supposed to be something, but um, he was one of the bosses in the video game that is now decanonized, which I find really weird and 
for Harold Ramis. It seems a little odd that they would decanonize a sequel that he wrote himself with Dan Aykroyd. So, you say the video game was decanonized? Yeah. Which makes sense. Based, hell, uh, uh, another one, uh, another part of my notes uh, in this is you could almost say this movie decanonizes uh, Ghostbusters 2 because there is absolutely no mention of any of the events from Ghostbusters 2 in this movie. They all go back to the first movie. They keep talking about, yeah, they were on the roof and da da da, save my head. Well, what about even in the mine, where you have the timeline and the different dates, it goes from 1984 to 2001. There's no 1989 in there. So like 1984, oh yeah, the ghost took over Manhattan. Well, what about 89 when it happened again? And then the Statue of Liberty, they got the goo to make <laughs> the Statue of Liberty walk around Manhattan and shit. Like, they mentioned nothing. The news. Say what? I said, you think that would have made the news. And I did think about this. For the longest time I was with you that they just got rid of Ghostbusters 2. But I believe, according to Dan Aykroyd, Ghostbusters 2 is still canon, despite them not mentioning it. And here is kind of my way of working around that, is that the whole ego situation wasn't related to the Gozer thing. So, Shandor wouldn't have that on his calendar because he didn't give a fuck about the ego, you know what I mean? He probably didn't even know who he was. You know what I mean? That was just a separate ghost entity. And if we're going by the timeline of this movie that, you know, there was a drought in Ghostbusters, in Ghost events, then it actually kind of enhances Ghostbusters too when they're down on their luck in the beginning and there hasn't really been a lot of business. It kind of makes sense that it's like, hey, after the whole Gozer thing, shit, like, what? Because we always complain that it's like, how come the city turned their back on them within such a short time period where it's like, well, if you imagine that there's been zero paranormal activity since that, and it's been even as small amount of years as it's been, that still leaves a lot of room for people to make some conspiracy theories. Yeah. And to me, though, like, I wouldn't say it was decanonized. Uh, your, your theory there makes sense. I'm just pointing out the fact that this movie went hardcore just to reference the first one. Yeah, it definitely <laughs> wanted to ignore Ghostbusters 2, for sure. Which, which, at the same time, Ghostbusters 2 is not as universally loved as the first one, so I get it. Um, but I just thought it was weird. But what's what Zach said about um, Egon being an absent father? I actually don't mind that because, like we've mentioned, he is unhinged and he doesn't seem that socially acclimated to, like, deep connections with people. Like, yeah. With he would be a horrible father. My problem with it is, like, with who? It's like, it doesn't even seem like, like, he fucked slime. He didn't fuck humans. Like... <laughs> And, like, as much as people don't like Ghostbusters 2, and as fan-thicky and uh, fan-filmy as it sounds, the logical conclusion is to go with Oscar the baby all grown up. And that way, he kind of could have had training from Egon, and he has the know-how like that, but he could also have Bankman as a stepdad, and he's kind of inherited some of that snark. Then you can kind of have Paul Rudd be his little college roommate, you know what I mean? When they were younger, of course, but now that the Ghostbusters are coming back into business, hey, come join the crew, and he could fill the role as more of the Benjamin rather than the Lewis. You know what I mean? So you could have Oscar B 
being more of the Egon, kind of like what Phoebe's doing, leading the team, and you could have Paul Rudd be the comedic relief he was meant to be. Yeah. Um, so... I don't know how you feel about that, because I know, like, you're not big on the baby, but as long as he's grown up... Yeah, as long as he's grown up, he's not the baby anymore. <laughs> uh, just don't just don't bring another baby in there. Um, but uh, but yeah, Egon would be a horrible father, uh, and but he'd probably be a great granddad. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what this movie pretty much summarizes. Yeah, because she's all she Phoebe is all Egon all the way all day long, and uh, like with Janine is so awkward though. Because, if, again, if it's not with Janine, then who did he do it with? And then also, like, if it is Janine, like, why is she so, like, quiet about it? Like, you should, she should just be like, I'm your real mother. But just look at Phoebe. She looks like Janine and Egon put together. Yeah, and you see, that's another thing, too, uh, with this Ghostbuster 2 deal. Uh so, we, we all talked about, you know, the first Ghostbusters, uh, Janine is totally in love with Egon. But in Ghostbusters 2, they try to have her totally in love with Rick Moranis. But, the moment her, she really falls for Rick Moranis is when he's wearing Egon's Ghostbuster costume. Yes, you pointed that out, and it's a, it's a really keen observation because it's like, Settling for Lewis. So we already know by the end of this movie they're not gonna be plastic thing. Exactly. She 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 is looking at him as Egon. She is totally pretending he is Egon in that uniform. Uh, she just picked another dude with glasses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you know what though? It would be cool if they do come back to that, because that was a weird scene. Uh, we're jumping a little ahead here, but when she shows up, it is a little weird because don't nobody know who she is. Even me, I was like, wait, is that fucking Annie Potts? And, like, saw us look it up, and we're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, damn, she don't look like she used to. Uh on Young Sheldon, and the actress who plays Phoebe is on Young Sheldon, and the way the whole scene is set up, I just feel like somebody switched a channel on me for a second. Yeah. Now, didn't you say the lady that played Phoebe was on Handmaid's Tale? Yeah. Yeah, she was on Handmaid's Tale also, uh, as a young wife. Uh, but yes, we're jumping, huh? So, like, I think she really nails the Egon mannerisms, actually. Like, to an extent, yeah. And as far as child actors go, it's like, no, I think she, she nailed it. Uh, my, my problem is more so with the writing than the performances. I think the worst thing were the dumb jokes. Some of the dumb jokes were actually fairly... Uh, Chuckable, but uh, yeah. they, I think they went a little hard on it. Like, all right, okay. It's not so hard to make it work. Yeah, like, no, nah, sorry, that's not working for me. But uh, back to uh, the the story. Um, so the trap doesn't work, and uh, Egon runs in the house, and um, he he pulls out an EMF reader, and which is another thing I do like, that they don't say what that thing is at all in the movie. Like, nobody knows what it is, but uh, if, if you know your, your, uh, your ghost hunting shit. So they pull out, he pulls out an EMF reader to see where this ghost is, and uh, 
He sits on the chair, and the man's just giving up at this point. He's like, fuck it. Uh, all my shit's not working anymore. Uh, I'm just going to sit here. But I love the way the fog just rolls in. I like that shot. Uh, you see behind the chair. Yeah. It kind of reminded me, I don't know, was it the Korean movie The Eye, where it's like you can't look at the ghosts. That's when they kill you. It's like you have to stand, almost like a T-Rex, you have to stand perfectly still, and they're like floating behind you, and there's like a really creepy scene in an elevator where there's like a levitating dude behind a girl, and you could feel it behind you, but you can't turn around. Like, that's the vibe I got from like, I... There is a feeling that Egon's given up, but I kind of feel like he was trying to trick the ghost, in a way. Because if you see him turn his head the moment the fog leaves, like, he's not like, alright, I'm in the clear. And then the PKE meter shifts into, like, this weird ghost taser right before the hands come out, which is something I've never seen before in Ghostbusters. So, it kind of feels like he was kind of, uh, almost trying to do, like, a last-minute, like, outmaneuver. Yeah, and so the hands come out of the uh, the couch or the chair, very much like in the first movie when uh, Sigourney Weaver gets possessed. Am I right? It's like one of the first callbacks, aside from like the ghostbusting equipment itself. Like here's where we're actually seeing the motifs of like scenes and stuff that we've seen before. Yeah, but in 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 Ghostbusters, that thing's like I'm possessing this woman, and this one is like I am fucking killing this motherfucker. Yeah, this one's out for blood. <laughs> Zool, motherfucker. Yeah, Zool, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> and so... That was a Zool, motherfucker. Moment. Yeah. So. so then, boom. Egon, ghost... Or, I barely ghost. Egon, beam, light, flies. What I expected here was with the outside shot of the house, I thought... The beam was going to fly away, and then you were going to hear... Yeah, that would have been horrible. That would have been the dumbest way to start that movie. I thought it was going to be awkward, but I thought that was going to be like the producer's like idea of like, yeah, yeah, that's how we're ramping up Ghostbusters 3. If this movie came out in 1999, that's exactly how it would start. Egon dies and then... Yeah, this isn't your parents, Ghostbusters. <laughs> We're killing <laughs> motherfuckers. <laughs> With the Ray Parker shooting at Egon's dead. <laughs> Who's he gonna call? Nobody. Not Egon. <laughs> God, Jesus. So, boom, uh, I guess what happens here? It cuts to uh, Big City Nowhere, and... Yeah. Uh, Establishing shot. Chaotic house, uh, mom running around. Uh, th this tells you how you have... This tells you how it's a single mom. Mom's running around like a chicken with his head cut off. Uh, the kids are acting up. Uh, people's banging on the door, and she's doing, like, five things at once. And then these are the first, like, these are the first implications you're watching, like, a Jason Reitman movie. Because even though Ivan Reitman's his dad, as a director, Jason Reitman is just a very different, like, you know what I mean? I wouldn't expect him to make an Ivan Reitman movie. And this is where, like, the tonal collides, like, right from the get-go, start to kind of rear its ugly head a little bit. Even though I will say I enjoyed the first half of the movie more so on the second go. 
uh, than the uh, the further half of the movie. But you do kind of have like these moments of like indie drama where they're not a very uh, wealthy. They're not they're not very good money wise. And she's doing her own kid's hair. She's like sniffing him on the ears. Yeah. Phoebe's doing her experiments and fucking with the lights. Yeah. The place is a mess, and uh, uh, but I will say this: uh, this part did bring a throw. There's a little throwaway line that I actually laughed at. I was like, "This per- that was a pretty good line." There, there's the banging on the door, and he's like, "Mom, door, or whatever." She's like, "Don't you have legs?" He's like, "I'm not an adult." <laughs> I actually thought I that. Like that one. That's <laughs> the thing. There is a couple of really good throwaway lines that still feel like. They have that kind of cynical dryness of the Ghostbusters universe, but then it's kind of paralleled with the cinematography and scenes that come out of something like Juno or, you know, something like that. Uh, Yeah, 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 because he made Juno also, uh, uh, Jason Reitman, uh, he had directed that. He fucks with Diablo Cody a lot, apparently. Uh, but a thing I wanted to mention too, during the Egon leaving the mountain scene, they have this shot where where his car flies through at this weird angle, and you see that 1950s diner spinners. Uh, they show that diner a few times, especially when they first get over there to Somerville, uh, and then toward the end of the movie, you get the same shot where the Ecto One is is uh, cutting through, but now the P has, uh, the light has gone out in the P and it says sinners. I thought that was really cool. Ah, I didn't notice that. That is a nice little touch. That's cool. There's a couple of different moments in this that remind me of older movies, but not necessarily Ghostbusters. Like, I wrote a note where if the original Ghostbusters was a John Landis movie. This one is like the John Hughes Ghostbusters movie. I feel you there. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. By like the later half with the Marshmallow Man, it becomes the Joe Dante Ghostbusters movie. Definitely Joe Dante vibes with the little Marshmallow dudes. Uh, small soldiers, gremlins, uh, even even like the gingerbread men from the, uh, the Krampus movie from uh, the guy that... That made yeah, us. Man from Army of Darkness as well. Like yeah. It reminded me of. Um, mm-hmm. But it's definitely, as a whole, more so like the John Hughes Ghostbusters movie. Yeah. With, with sprinkles of Spielbergian whimsy. Yeah. A little bit of, like I said, Emmett Brown is basically what um, Egon became. There's like those kind of Spielberg Zemeckis touches in there. Yeah. Uh, Which I don't know is necessarily right for Ghostbusters, so that's why I say I agree with, if this were a miniseries that were a spin-off in the Ghostbusters universe, but didn't have Ghostbusters in the title, like if it was called, like, Egon, or like, you know, Red Letter Media said, The Legacy of Egon Spengler, like, I feel like I could have digested it a lot better when I was watching it the first time. Yeah, I get why they're doing that vibe. Because like I said, this is this is running on that, that Stranger Things thing. So it's like, it's got to have that whimsiness in there. It's got to have the Spielbergian vibes and shit. Just because it's that type of story, 
so I get it. Like, I'm not tired of this format yet, uh, but uh, I... It's not the worst thing to do it with. Yeah, and it, I think it does give this a more uh, distinct vibe away from its predecessors as well, uh, which I think is kind of refreshing. I'm glad they're just not trying to make it look and feel and sound like uh, the first two Ghostbuster movies, which is also why I do like the fact that it's in a small town, a really tiny small town where there's nothing to do, uh, as opposed to big old city, uh, New York. Uh, so it's doing a lot. It's doing a whole lot to uh, differentiate itself from uh, the original Ghostbusters, but at the same time, doing a lot to call back to the original Ghostbusters. I agree that although I, I really go crazy for the city representation, like taking the action into a small town was a really good choice, and I think it does lend itself more to like spooky atmospheres, yes. uh, seeing opportunities that aren't in Walmart. Speaking uh, oh. of that Walmart scene, where the fuck were the customers? He was the only motherfucker in there. There's two other cars in the parking lot. When he runs through his car, there's only two other cars. Go ahead. It was the last scene probably to be shot. MDS, Walmart, like there's not even an employee in there. Like, I think he broke in. Yeah. He broke in and turned all the lights on. Um, but you made a good point where it's differentiating itself enough because one of the things I found baffling was a lot, I like Ghostbusters too, and a lot of people criticisms with Ghostbusters 2 is it was a little too kiddy, a little too whimsy for a Ghostbusters sequel, and now here comes a Ghostbusters movie with kids busting ghosts and whimsy, and the overall audience loves it, and yeah. loves it because of that. But I think it's what you're saying, though, is that it is making its efforts to not be like the previous two, where that stuff can probably work a little better. And also, it's not Ghostbusters 3. This is Ghostbusters Afterlife. So it is kind of what I said about making a TV show. It is a spin-off. It isn't a, like, direct... It isn't Ghostbusters 3. Yeah. <coughs> so... It's this weird uh, passion project. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it, it, it's, a, it's a tribute to Jason's dad, and it's a tribute to Harold, and it's an apology... Uh, and it's there for the, it's there for the fans, uh, it's made for the fans, uh, by relatives and, uh, personnel of the originals, so I think this had a lot more heart into it, this is what should have happened instead of the, uh, Melissa McCarthy, uh, Paul Feig, or whatever the shit, uh, Ghostbusters, yeah, just throwing a statue of Harold Ramis in the background of the 2016 one wasn't enough. Yeah, that was just... Nah. <laughs> but, uh, so, what happens next is, this is something I got in my notes here, so the door's banging, Mom opens the door, and then it's like, like, okay, alright. <clears throat> she opens the door, and why is it always a Russian landlord? Yeah, that is one of, like, the new modern stereotypes in movies that nobody really talks about. Yeah, it's always a Russian landlord, and I've been seeing this for ages. You know, the landlords, uh, the landlord and the, hell, the whole family of landlord uh, in, in Spider-Man 2, uh, you know, fucking, 
but yeah, but they were funny though. <laughs> they were funny. I liked them a lot. But I'm like, this is always this always. The man gets like eight lines. He's there for ten seconds. Why did it have to be a Russian landlord? This could have been anybody. I don't understand. I'm, I'm not complaining, but. Like you said, it's a it's it's a little it's a stereotype. I guess at the, at this point, at this point, we could probably do, we could probably do Russian stereotypes in movies, and nobody would complain because of what's going on over there right now. So, you know. <laughs> I am here for you to dump exposition on me. Yes, and so she does. She just trapped. Yeah, I'm I'm a single mom. I have no money. Uh, you know, my my dad died. Uh. You know, and he's crazy. He left us. He he doesn't care about us. But he left me this big old house in the middle of nowhere. And it's like she's just dropping all this crap for the audience to. You feel like it almost might work because he's not being a complete jerk about it. This is where in like the 2016 movie, just because it's a dude, like he would have been like flipping her off and be like, I don't fucking care. But <laughs> he's about to maybe give her a break, but then Phoebe fucks with the lights and he sees it and. You know, so there's already this tension between, you could already tell that Phoebe and her mom, not that they don't get along, the mom cares about her, but because she's already got that Egon in her, and because she's distanced herself so much from fuck science, yeah. fuck that, you know, she can't connect to her daughter on an emotional level, because these are now just like the hobbies that she's into, and yeah. because of that, that connection... She's already doing like fuck shit around the house and making trouble. Yeah, she's like you. You remind me too much of my dad. You're no daughter of mine. I like my son better because he reminds me of his deadbeat dad working on cars and shit. I like my son better because he reminds me of that Netflix show. Yeah, yeah. What show are you on, honey? You remind me of Young Sheldon. Get out of here. <laughs> and so, but yeah, he's like, I change luck when you leave. I'm just like, damn. But that gets our, uh, that gets our family on the road. Yeah, so boom, on the road to, to, at first I'm like, you know, alright, so where is this? I'm like, I'm liking the, I'm liking the view, I'm liking the vibe, I'm like, where is this? I guess you find out it's in Oklahoma eventually, but it's just like long into it, because, you know, it's just Somerville. It's just Somerville. And I'm like, okay, so is this going to be small town nowhere, USA, you know, like... Uh, dog. Yeah, exactly. And, but eventually, I believe you find out it's Oklahoma when they give Ray a call. And I'm like, damn, it took him this long to drop the... Uh... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Without Ray, that's like exposition dump number two, because we've already been an hour in, and if you're nodding off a little bit, it's that little, like, everybody got that, everybody remember this was Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, because, like, yeah, at this point, you're like, all right, you're still wondering, okay, why? Ghostbusters 2 is canon, because she calls Ray the cult books. Yeah, okay. Okay. So that is the Ghostbusters 2 set. True. All right. Still you there? Totally works. Um, I wasn't thinking I'm about it. I'm the for Ghostbusters 2. It's a cool <laughs> I will die on. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, yeah, because at this point, by the time they give Ray the call, you're still wondering, all right, why did Egon leave? Why, why is he such a dick? What, what, what happened? That made him decide to, you know, go here and do all this crazy uh, ghosting and shit. Uh, he straight up ghosted his family. It reminds me of, like, when 
the Creed movies came out, and in the first movie they established <clears throat> that Apollo Creed had like an illegitimate <laughs> son, and some people really didn't like that choice in the writing because they're like, oh, it kind of feels like it makes uh, a good character like Apollo worse of a guy. But I'm like, you got to remember Apollo in the first movie where. He's a cocky boxer, you know what I mean? And he's making millions, you know what I mean? It's like, I do not think it's out of the realm of reality that he would be, you know, a bit of a player at times. He's probably got a, a few baby creeds running around ready to box. Mm-hmm, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, he was riding high on that success, you know? This was before he even became friends with Rocky. Like, he was pissed at him at Rocky, too. Like, you see a real character evolution there, so kind of going back to, like, yeah, I didn't expect if Egon were to be a father, yeah, he probably wouldn't be that great of a father, not even, like, by choice, like, not even that he doesn't care, much like Phoebe, there's just that disconnect, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you don't, if you don't connect to him on that level, like Janine, you know what I mean, it's like, you're not going to get anything from him. So they get to... They get to the farm, which I think is a cool-looking set. Psycho uh, house vibes all the way. It is definitely a Bateman motel, and there is one decent throwaway line when they're going through the town. Uh, Finn Wolfhard's looking at his phone, and he goes, oh, not a single bar, and then the mom goes, there better be a bar. Yeah, yeah, and that's I, pretty good. I wrote that that line was funny until Phoebe had to tell us that it was. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of dumb. Uh... But then you got, like, they, there's this little barricade with uh, crazy old wild man writings all over it. Uh, shit from the Bible. Shit from the Bible written down just to scare people. <laughs> so also just to be a callback to the first movie. Because that's the fucking uh, shit that they're talking about, uh, Ray and Winston in the car. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right. The Judgment Day. Um, and, uh, like, again, it would make sense that Egon would get that shit in his head so much. But what, what's got me wondering is, like, okay, uh, what made Egon go back to all this Gozer shit after they all assumed the Gozer shit was done after the first movie? This is where I wrote down in my notes that, much like Star, Star Wars... Um, this is where alternative media needs to come in and fill in the gaps. And it is a ding towards the movie because movies shouldn't have to be like that, but this is almost worthy of, like, I had an idea for a comic where you show the three other Ghostbusters dealing with their friends mentally deteriorating and then leaving, and then them trying to pick up the slack because Dan Aykroyd's whole idea with Ghostbusters, the initial idea was it was in the future, and they had grown into this, like, national, even international, like, corporate Ghostbusting force. And to have this happen kind of throws a monkey wrench into, like, even though we've never seen it in the movies, like, in my head, that's, like, the established canon of what happens with Ghostbusters. That even when the old, when the old original guys retire, they probably got, like, Ghostbusters St. Louis, Ghostbusters fucking, you know... Miami, you, can see, you can see them eventually just being CEOs of a company and, like, getting together for a later movie where it's like, 
now they're the bosses and they haven't busted ghosts in like 20 years. Uh, and they're like, you know, I sure do. And for some reason they have to put the, uh, the jumpsuits back on. And it's like, oh yeah, I sure missed this. And they kind of do that in this, but in a different way. Yeah, it just kind of seems weird that the Ghostbusters completely faded away. And I would like to see, like, some expanded media on, like, what made the other three... Like, they say that Egon took everything with him, which seems like what big-ass fucking truck did he do to bring over. But it's not the truck we saw at the beginning, that's for sure. Yeah, um, and, then, and then, if he took everything, how did they all show back up full gear, uh, you know, proton packs and all? Yeah, because they show up in front of the house where all those jumpsuits were hidden, like, under the floorboards, you know what I mean? So it's like, where, like, where did they have the time to, like, Superman, like, phone booth change and show up? Because it looked like he had all four Ghostbusters jumpsuits in there. Yeah, enough for all four kids to put on, which I'm going to wait before I say anything about this until we get there. But ultimately, my whole ironic thing with this comic book idea was that you call it Ghostbusters 3, but you spell it out, T-H-R-E-E, because it's three of them. Ah, okay. And it's about them. You kind of keep it like it's, the, it's bridging the gap between Ghostbusters 2 and Afterlife, where almost like you could start with something that's more tonally like the original Ghostbusters, and then we kind of drift more into this drama tone as Egon becomes more mentally un- unraveled. Yeah, so they're driving into the town, and they're mentioning how it's summer. They're like, what? We thought we were just only going to be here for a week. We're like, sorry, we live here now. And um, they get to the house, and it's, it's like every... It's like every horror movie, every haunted house movie, where the family moves into the house and they've never seen it before, and it's already fully furnished and shit, and they're like, well, this is my room, no, 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 but, so they go in there. cobwebs and, like, dust all over, but it is still, like, pretty, like, everything's already set up, basically. It's, it's movie disheveled, you know what I mean? Yeah, so. And then, is, there is a funny throwaway line where... Uh, what was it, Phoebe, break it to your grandfather's house. Yeah, yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, and, uh, so, they get in there, they look around, and then, boom, Annie Pot shows up, and, um, which is, like I was going to say earlier, uh, you know, it would be cool to come back to that and be like, I am your mom, no, 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 uh, they don't really drop hints. And so if they were to do it, it would kind of be out of left field and stupid. But uh, yeah, I kind of hesitate that she was like, I was Egon's uh, friend, and it's like, if you're not the mom, then you're making it sound like I was the person your your dad had an affair with. <laughs> yeah, he left me for you in this farm or house. Um, but she comes in. She, I don't even really remember what she says or does. Them that they're shit out of luck. That she's like, I worked for your father. I did like. She's like, oh, you did financial stuff, and she's like, oh, there was no money. You know oh yeah, so yeah, yeah. She basically she said basically to collect whatever like 
money she can get from it to go back and hopefully like deal with that eviction shit. But now they're living. They're living. Yeah. Um, but they mentioned so they mentioned that it's summer and we got to be here for the whole summer. And then so I guess it's uh, later that night. So they go to the Spinner's Diner and it's like. What's funny about this is she's like, well, I can't believe places like this still exist. It's a 1950s-style diner, rollerblade, car hops, uh, the whole thing. And I'm like, well, is she going to say, I can't believe places like this still exist? And I'm like, well, I'm, you lived in big city nowhere. I'm sure there was about eight Sonics. <laughs> you know, and even even the now most Sonics don't do rollerblades, but the Sonic that we Weirdly enough, we we lived on Somerville Road uh, here in Phoenix City, and we were three houses down by a Sonic, and there was one lady that would ride the uh, roller skates. Uh, so, but I'm like, yeah, y'all didn't have a Sonic there, but... Uh, it's actually ironic because I had Sonic today while watching the movie. Crazy. Uh, so... Then, so women messaging. I was like, I needed some of them rollerblade roller burgers. So Finn Wolfie uh, sees uh, a girl. He's like, oh, man, I like this girl. His whole point in this movie is to fix the car, drive the car, and like a girl. That's all he does. Yeah, and he's always having the guys, other guys who become part of his, like, non-friend group, like, make a fun of him. Oh, my name's Trevor. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's almost unnecessary for, uh, for him to even be in this movie at all. This is the reason the movie's, like, two hours and four minutes. Yeah, it would make more sense for her only child to be the uh, Phoebe. Because then she would have no child to connect with. And what sucks, too, is that, I mean, I know we already saw it on Stranger Things, but it's like, Finn Wolfhard doesn't look bad in the Ghostbusters jumpsuit. It's like, he, probably, like, even a little older, could probably be a convincing Ghostbuster, but you're absolutely right. He's a car subplot. Like, he is there to be the mechanic. Yeah. And, and we'll get to that, too, when, uh, when we get there. So... The next day, uh, you know, so he clumsily introduces himself, but the next day he, um, they're, she's driving him, she's driving him to work, uh, and she's driving her to school, and I'm like, at first I'm like, that was fucking summer, what's going on here, oh I hate school, no you like school, oh I like learning, this is just a public prison da -da -da for children or something, and but yeah, you find out it's a summer school, which I kind of thought was funny. She gets in there, and uh, weirdly enough, like, it's not filled with uh, your stereotypical summer school kids. Uh, it's kind of filled with your stereotypical AV club nerd kids. Uh, yeah, who should probably not be going to summer school, who should probably have finished their work long before everybody else. Uh, yeah, the podcast isn't a dumb kid. He was probably just really distracted with his podcast. Yeah. He's playing live in school, which would probably be really annoying IRL, but that little interaction between her and Phoebe and how he doesn't even give up after uh, she says that her grandfather's dead. Like, I really like his character, but fuck, why is he named podcast? Yeah, that's just so dumb. 
Uh, we don't know. Listen, I know podcasts are very popular right now, but it's like this is something that could a potentially date the movie, and two, it's like literally you could just call him anything. He could have had a really cool name. You know what I mean? He could have had a really cool name because the name of his podcast is actually pretty cool. He could have had a cool name for uh, for his podcasting host character, but instead of, could you imagine, hi, I'm podcast, welcome to my podcast, like, really, like, that's so stupid. Yeah, I hope he doesn't call him that on, on the show. See? Like, I hope it's his first name, maybe, like, in quotes, podcast, and then last name. Yeah, I'm Tommy Podcast Jarvis. And then, what's, yeah, Tommy Jarvis is his name. <laughs> <laughs> He's definitely dealt with some paranormal activity in his past. Tommy uh, Podcast Doyle. Dude, Finn Wolfhard gives him a terrible nickname of the nickname where he called him Podkey. Did he? Yeah, once. He gets flung back by Gozer and he goes like, Podkey, look out! <laughs> what the shit? No, 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 he said Lucky. That's, he That's what it was, Lucky, because he was calling out to his little wannabe girlfriend. Oh, yeah, I was like, Pod Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, she goes into school, and I kind of thought this was funny. Paul Rudd walks in, and, you know, he's talking to her mom and stuff, and he's like, oh, yeah, obviously, another person that's going to have to have a girlfriend-boyfriend thing. Uh, that's all they're here for. Uh, and uh, then he goes into class, and this man is the worst teacher ever. And he's like, here, here, y'all ever see Cujo? Check it out. I'm going to go in this back room and tinker with shit. This is what I mean, that he's more of a Lewis than a um, Ghostbuster. Is He's not as dorky as Lewis, but he's more so the modern, and, like, you know I mean? Think about it. Lewis is Revenge of the Nerds, basically. Like, he is the 80s depiction of a tweet. Um, he's just, like, amped up to, like, a little bit more uh, neuroticism. Um... Fucking Gary Gruberson is basically like a Smosh character at times. You know what I mean? <laughs> Why? He's a seismologist, so like he is smarter than like the script even really gives him credit for. I liked his relationship with Phoebe, where he indulges and encourages her to be herself, because that's also an ongoing line uh, with the mom. And Phoebe is, I think they say, don't be yourself, like as a joke or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he said, even though he's, he's like telling her mom during their little day, like, yeah, your daughter's awesome. Did it, did it, did Science is cool. Oh. <laughs> Science is cool. Science but, uh, but, like, wh- why does he have to have a weird name? Like, that's another thing that I've seen uh, a lot here recently is just. Uh, characters with weird names just because people think it's funny? It feels like first draft names. You know, yeah, because then, too, calling him Gary Gruberson, it reminds me so much of one of the greatest scenes in movie history uh, in, in House of a Thousand Corpses when you get to the pussy liquor store and uh, he's, she's like, how you doing, Goober? He's like, actually, my name's it says G-Ober for Gary Ober, but my friend put uh, that extra O in there. Fucking asshole. And she's like, okay, Goober. Yeah. <laughs> so it reminds me of that. Gary Gruberson. It reminds me of that. 
And it's also very much like a Marvel name. We're going to have, like, the alliteration. I'm Gary Gruberson, and I was bit by a radioactive ghost. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Gary Gruberson sees ghosts. <laughs> Gary Gruberson, ghost. USA. Paul Rudd. Gary <laughs> Gruberson. Paranormal MD. <laughs> Hell yeah. But, uh, so yeah, he throws Cujo on, and, uh, then, what happens next? That's another thing I've noticed. So you noticed with, like, the, the Russian landlords, one thing that these legacy and soft reboot movies love to do, even if it's not related to the nostalgia of the movie, like, there's always characters watching older movies. Like, yeah. the Child's Play remake, where it was Mark Hamill playing the robot Chucky. They're watching Texas Chainsaw Master 2 on the TV. It all goes back to, like, in Halloween when they're watching the thing. Like, yeah. there's always something in movies, but now, like, again. You're seeing that a lot in movies, which I, I think is kind of cool because it makes it feel like shit like that I always liked, in, and especially horror movies, because it, it made them feel more uh, grounded in reality. Whereas these movies that we all watch, these characters are watching too. Yeah. But there's, like, when Scream does it, there's a purpose. For here, it's like, well, why are they watching Child's Play? I mean, I guess it doesn't matter. It's meant to show that an irresponsible teacher. Yeah, um, who, who loves horror movies. Yeah. But I don't know, it's just something I noticed. It's another part of that Stranger Things syndrome where... The teacher in that watched the thing when he was on his team going off about uh, all the all the different points of the filmmaking and stuff like that. It's become not that I'm complaining, it's just a trope I've noticed has increased over the years. Yeah, damn sure has. Uh, so what happens next? Um, and so is this when they're back at the house? Um. Well, first we get kind of the establishment between the mom and Gary. Right before we get into the scene where he's showing them Cujo, we have a quick little moment of flirting between them where his sense of humor, even though he's a geek who's into science, they meet on that humor level. Like, he's able to dig back what she gives, and that puts a smile on her face because she has a real dour sense of humor. Like, every comment out of her mouth is negative. You know what I mean? And he is that, like, one little streak of uh, positivity. Yeah. I like how he's not a goober with her. He's not really a Lewis. That's why I get disappointed when he becomes a Lewis. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Because he is charming in this movie. I don't mind the Gary character. He just has a shitty name. And uh, uh, ultimately, like, uh, I wouldn't say crappy purpose. Like, he serves his role. But again, like, I'm personally disappointed that that's all he amounted to. Yeah. <clears throat> he has uh, two red eyes, and then he's like, I like your eyes. So, I'm guessing after the school scene... Uh, they're back at the house, and the Finn, uh, Wolf, we're showing him at work, too, and he's in the freezer, and he's, like, cold, and he's, like, putting shit up, and, uh, she's, like, she gives him this hoodie, she's like, here, wear my hoodie, and it's got a wolf on it, I'm like, ha ha, Wolf is in his name. But then she's also like, 
oh, it's my boyfriend, and he's all bummed out. So again, these are, I feel like, filler moments, and I feel bad. I'm not trying to uh, crap on Ivan Reitman's style, but it almost feels like a compulsion where it's like, you have to throw in, like, these little scenes out of the movie. Yeah, like, that's definitely a filler moment. Whereas a better moment is later on when they're all on top of the mountain hanging out. Like, that actually has purpose. There's, like, no purpose to that scene at all. Yeah, at least with the mountain scene, number one, by that point in the movie, we notice that all these ghosts are fleeing to, like, the edge of town. And then we get, like, the confirmation with the well, at least. So it kind of makes more of those, like, cutesy moments between her. So I'm not saying they don't have chemistry, but it's, like, it's neither really here nor there. You don't really care if they get together or not. Yeah. Uh, and then there's also, there's also earthquakes. Earthquakes happening uh, in, in the city. Uh, and they mentioned, they mentioned that between da-da-da this year and 2016, the earthquakes have uh, um, gained momentum, right? And I'm like, well, y'all know what happened in 2016, right? Ghostbusters with the girls. They they buried every copy of that in the mountain, and they can't contain it. It's overflowing. <laughs> yes, it it's a landfill, a secret landfill of every DVD copy of uh, of Ghostbusters 2016 buried in this mountain. What was it? It's like, I really like the chemistry between Phoebe and Podcast better than anything going on with yeah. the girl. Yeah, and they better just be buddies, you know what I mean? Like, they better not try to, because they're working on a sequel now, and everybody's coming back. They better not try to make them um, this uh, girlfriend-boyfriend thing, you know? Like, just make yeah, them buddies. Right. They, don't, they don't need relationships. They're 12 years old, for God's sakes. Yeah, let's leave it at that. They're, they're, they're junior busters. They're busting buddies. <laughs> busting buddies. That that just sounds wrong. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so they're at the house, I guess, and she's playing, she, she, she's got this chessboard, and a, a piece moves overnight. And she's like, huh, that's weird. So she decides to move a piece. And then she, there, this is like the moment everyone's like, all right, let's just kind of discover the house. And so I guess Finn is walking through the garage and he sees this uh, old car and uh, he sees the Ghostbuster logo just a second. And I guess what, the lights cut out or something? It really does, like, you're still being reminded that it's like, they don't know what happened. Yeah, and then they even, like, it's throwaway lines, too, like, because even then, it's like, yeah, our, you know, our granddad was a Ghostbuster. Did you ever hear a story? He's like, oh, yeah, I know about the ghosts in Manhattan, da 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 the end. Like, well, damn. <laughs> Here's another question, because even though, like, they're divorced, like, and her maiden name is Spangler, and they keep, like, hiding that on, like, they keep waiting to drop the name Spangler, what was the name that she married into, because Spangler wouldn't be Phoebe's last name. Spangler would be yeah. Like, maybe they never got married. Did she mention they were divorced? That's true. It could have just been, like, the last person they were with. That's a good point. Yeah, they probably, you know, just got together, had the kids, and tried to make it work, and then maybe it just didn't work. 
but even if they tried to make it work, like, wouldn't Phoebe still technically, like, it depends. I guess all families are different, but that's kind of where my mind was going. It's like, wouldn't she still have a different last name? I guess if, uh, it also depends on the birth certificate, too. Like, uh, you know, when they put the name on the birth certificate, what name, what last name do you want? Uh, who knows? Yeah, for all we know, the relationship was that bad. By the time they were already born, she was just like, it's Phoebe Stengler. Yeah, exactly, because maybe, you know, because obviously Finn Wolfhard is the oldest kid. Maybe the dad ran out before Phoebe was born, but after she was pregnant with her. That could be. That could be. And at this point, uh, Phoebe Mom, I don't even remember her name. Phoebe Mom is like, you know what, put Spangler on there. See, this invites more dark theories than the original two movies. <laughs> it does. It does, man, because she's a bitter woman, you know, because it's like, does she even have a job? Yeah, or is she in between jobs? Like, what's going on here? Uh, do these kids yeah, need to be safe? like, Finn Wolfhard filler, like, that's the whole other thing. It's like, what is she doing for money that, you know... She can't pay the rent, and then also she came here for the money, but now you're stuck there. So it's like, yeah, you got to get a job. Yeah, I mean, and I'm sure rent can't be that much on that house, given how poor that damn town is. And she's like, I'm going out with Gary and stuff like that, and we see it, well, he probably paid for it, but still. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's trying to get with him because he has money and he has a job, and eventually they'll get together, and it's like, she's just going to drop it all on him. I'm going to be Mrs. Gruberson Spangler. Oh, my God. What a name. <laughs> and uh, so they're walking around the house. And, I, you know, I don't know. Is this is this when she finds the trap buried under the floor? Is that what she found under the floor? That's actually what she found under the floorboard. Yes. Yeah, because the, 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 the jumpsuits were in the, uh, the, the little basement. Yeah, the jumpsuits were in his little torture chamber. Yeah, yeah. And so, then it shows him back at the school, and she's playing with the trap, and that's when Paul Rudd is like, whoa, that's a really cool replica. Like, a replica of what? And he's like, uh, you don't know about the Ghostbusters? Fucking, that's a trap, yo. And that's the thing, too. He doesn't say, you don't know about the Ghostbusters. Like, that's the thing. It's like, these commercials exist, and they don't just call them the Ghostbusters. He's like, you don't remember the ghost events of 1984? And then, like, Joe and Cliff, he's like, yeah, then these four physicists came along. It's like, no, you'd be like, yo, those are the fucking Ghostbusters. Like, they're literally chanting their names. Yeah, seriously. They got a theme song, motherfucker. Bro, they had fucking three... Uh, Ghostbusters mugs and balloons for the keys? Yeah, seriously. Like, yeah, because uh, it's like, it, it's weird, because it's almost like they're a myth at this point. But it's only been, like, 30 years. In this universe, there has to be an episode of, like, Pawn Stars or Comic Book Men where somebody comes in and he's like, bro, I got the balloons. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They go into Comic Book Men, fucking me, it's like, holy crap, man, that's an authentic... Ghostbusters mug given to little kids during the birthday parties when they were in between jobs because there were no ghosts in Manhattan. 
Brian's making snide comments, and then Walt's just like, I'm sorry, I just, I, I can't take it off yet. <laughs> yeah, he's like, man, this thing costs more than I could give you, man. This is, uh, this is authentic, original Ghostbusters memorabilia, bro. This was like, this was on set. This was touched by Bill Murray. No one walks. He would be like looking at it, like, ah, oh, there's a scratch there. This is <laughs> like a pop. Yeah, this scratch takes about twenty thousand dollars off the value, man. <laughs> and then Kevin, it cuts to Kevin Smith and everybody at the podcast, and he's like, "What? And you didn't take it, man? What? Yeah, what? I can't believe you didn't take it, man. A, a real Ghostbusters bug, man? What the hell, dude? And you didn't take it." <laughs> and, and it goes back to Kevin Smith. It all comes back to Kevin Smith. I can't help it. We've been in the Kevin in this universe for forever. Time stopped. Like two years now? Three years now? Oh. Jesus Christ. So, I'm glad we're doing something else, finally. <laughs> oh, but but we're still back to the well. Yeah, we're still back to the well. But, you know, we didn't know this movie was going to happen. We didn't know this movie was going to happen. We're like Mario. We're jumping different wells and pipes. Until we get to the to the truly new stuff. Yeah. So uh, so he's like, yeah, that's a cool replica, you know. And then he, they're playing with it, and he finds out that it's the real deal. And he's just like, whoa, where did you get this? No, no, no. He's like showing her. Uh, I guess this is when he's explaining to her the uh, the crazy shit going around town. And um, then her and podcasts. The he. Talks about ghosts and they're all into it, but she's like, I don't believe in ghosts. And then it, this is in my notes. It's like, okay, she says she don't believe in ghosts. I ain't afraid of no ghosts. At least she didn't say that. Yeah, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Uh, so then, all right, all of a sudden she's cool and totally down with ghosts. She's uh, never freaked out when paranormal shit actually starts. Like, there's never a moment of disbelief. Yeah, what I'm seeing, you know, because it's like you don't believe in ghosts, but you were just playing chess with your ghost granddad. Like, yeah. What, what do you feel about that? The whole uh, ghost granddad gonna teach you from the afterlife sort of thing. Like, I do feel like that's where the schmaltziness actually works a little better. I like that it's through lights and flickers, but I also added a note that was like, charming or analog art, you make the call. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I actually thought that was a uh, good, good little touch. Because uh, in my notes, I have, I have, this is a uh, nice Harold Ramis tribute, and at the same time, uh, a, a mean Harold Ramis tribute to... To have all this stuff as, oh yeah, he's deadbeat, da 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 that was kind of mean. Just to finally be like, you know, when she, she sees all the pictures that he was sent of her growing up and stuff. Oh, he wasn't so, so deadbeat after all. Like, motherfucker, you could call your family. <laughs> and then after that, there's still the whole scene where she's like, oh, well, even if he was a genius, he was still an asshole. Yeah, so it's like... So like, well, yeah... But, yeah, I liked the little whimsy lights flickering. Here, go this way. Follow the EMF meter. No, 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 no. I like that a little more. There's a little more thought put into that as opposed to Ghost Egon showing up and being like, hey, here, here's a thing that you exactly. can do. Exactly. Like yeah. a video game character. Like, press me to summon the proton trap. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah, and so they, 
I guess it's the next fucking day, but, like, the chessboard moves some more, and then, like, the chessboard, like, explodes on her, or, or no, he knocks the piece over right there, and it's like, she don't even freak out, she's like, huh, that's weird, and part of me wants to complain that she's like, I don't believe in ghosts, and all of a sudden she's cool with it, but then at the same time, it would make sense that she is a very rational thinker kid, that she probably... Yeah, she probably would not freak out. She'd probably be like, "Okay, I need to, I need to investigate this a little more." So maybe it does make sense that she doesn't freak. Which so I guess I'm kind of glad she doesn't freak, but it's also at the same time it's like, eh, she's just kind of over. It. Yeah, ghosts are real. Ghosts are a thing. There, there was a throwaway. There was two throwaway lines. One, she's like, "I convey my emotions internally, so like inside I'm vomiting." When they were talking about yeah. Gary and the mom. Mm-hmm. But then also there's another throwaway line where she's like, high tension calms me or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so she, Egon, Egon, Egon's got a little serial killer uh, on his hands. The team has spread. Yeah. It's like on, it's like on Mr. Brooks, man. Bro, this movie should have ended with Phoebe stabbing his mom, stabbing her mom in a clown mask, and Donald Pleasant's like, now. Now the evil has returned. The better yet, have it be Bill Murray. Oh, oh, God, no. Yeah. Oh, God. So it's like in Mr. Brooks, where uh, where uh, Kevin Costner's daughter gets the serial killer gene, and so anyway. Uh, yeah. So she takes the they take the 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 pack, um, I guess, uh, and huh. So they take the pack and they smoke it. Moving on. Yeah, so they take the, uh, the, uh, the, the trap, I mean, and they go to do a little experiment. Her podcast and Paul Rudd, and they want to open it up, uh, I guess. I guess to see what's in it. Uh, and they, they open it up, and some ghost comes out of there. This is what I was going to mention, is that, so we just mentioned how Phoebe internalizes everything, so by the time the ghost actually flies out and it's breaking windows and she actually screams, I was like, oh wow, okay, yeah. now we actually like got something out of her, you know? Yeah, so like it comes out and it, it like destroys the shit out of the school buses and Paul Rudd's car, uh, which I thought was a funny scene when they were driving back and the windshields busted out. And he's just like hanging his head out the damn windshield like, yeah, this is awesome right here. You know, all the wind blowing in his face and shit. And, you know, I really liked the, uh, the, the tr- testing of the trap scene. There's that fucking, again, a little touch of the original Ghostbusters line in there, uh, uh, feel in there when he's like, oh, yeah, I'm an adult. I'm liable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, all right, let's get out of here. What? Uh, I'm an adult. I'm liable. And, uh, <laughs> so that's the thing. It's like, my problem with this movie is, like, I don't think, so far, even when we're talking about it, it's like, I don't think this movie is bad. There's some people who act like this movie was bad. It's like, I just feel like there's a serious tonal clash that kind of um, overshadows the whole thing and makes it a little more awkward to get through, you know what I mean? Yeah, the, the, uh, I think the comedy, some of the comedy kind of tries a little too hard, uh, and then, while at the same time, like, some of the more horror elements are actually, uh, 
pretty good. Uh, like, pretty, uh, not horrifying, but, uh, a little, a little more on the darker side than even the earlier Ghostbuster movies. So, like, there is a slight tonal clash, but it never really bothered me all that much, except for the comedy kind of almost being a little too try-hard in some scenes. Yeah, no, the tonal clash with me was, like, the ultimate struggle of the movie, really. (laughs) I don't go into movies anymore, like, looking for things that, it's like, I go into movies wanting to be on their side and wanting to just, like, enjoy them, even if it's connected, even despite all, like, the talk going on around it, you know what I mean? It's like, my react. I still just have, like, a head tilt watching this movie where it's like, I just don't get the overall, like, why we had to throw all these things in the blender. Like, the result we got wasn't the worst thing, but it's like the... The thinking of the why in the decision-making is always the mystery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But yeah, I didn't have much of a problem with it. But, uh, so, the the ghost busts out, and they're driving back. Oh, yeah, the thing I wanted to mention was, I liked that they used a lot of the original Ghostbusters score throughout the movie. That kind of quirky New York uh, orchestral vibe. That. The way the violins sound in the original score, it has that kind of, and the theremin, the fucking... Mm-hmm. But I'm talking about that, like, boom, boom, And you were mentioning that, like, this was, like, I don't want to say a nepotism project, but it's like we have a generational project here where it's like we have the sons of everybody coming back. I believe the guy who did the score to this was either Elmer Bernstein's son or grandson. So it is related to the same guy who did the original Ghostbusters score and a ton of other players. Which is cool, because it's a legacy sequel not only in characters, but in real people as well. Because you got, like I said, you got the people, you got sons of the people who made the original a part of this project as well. Like, there's just a whole lot of heart put in this movie that uh, isn't necessarily in a lot of the legacy sequels. Uh, this doesn't feel like a cash grab uh, as much as maybe like some of them. The 2016 one definitely felt more like a cash grab compared to this one, where they had all the marketing going, they brought back the ecto-cooler, which I believe this movie also had a limited ecto-cooler run, but it really was less in your face, so I do give credit to the marketing, where it's like, they definitely were letting you know this was going to be a different tone movie. Yeah, because like, with the first one being a cash grab, that one, it just reeked of, oh shit, Harold Ramis is dead, now we can finally make this. Yeah, it was really kind of... <laughs> you know what I mean? Here, we'll put a statue of him in the movie, just so just so people know that, that, that we, we like it. Put him in the ground. Did, <laughs> did you ever watch, like, the Evil Dead 2013 remake? It's like, we just killed them, and now we're going to bury them back up again. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> uh, he drives them home, and they walk in, and, and Rudd sees... Uh, and everybody calls him the Dirt Farmer. Uh, I do like that nickname. Yeah. Like spores, molds, and fungus. He's just out there like they don't understand what he's really working on. Yeah, yeah. which also he has the collection of it. You see his collection of spores, mold, and fungus when she walks through his little, uh, his torture chamber. If you look closely, there might be a woman's ear in there. Probably so. <laughs> so they walk in there and they find a uh, Aztec death whistle. 
which I think is kind of cool. But I wonder if they actually do make that noise. I wonder if that is an authentic noise that they use for the death whistle. Because they do say that it's supposed to have the most uh, horrifying screech uh, when you blow through it. Yeah, I wonder. Because I doubt that the sound we actually hear, like, I bet it was enhanced, but I can't be, I can't be for sure, you know? Yeah. I yeah. do like that. They like Egon's little collection of weird shit. Yeah. And are probably from other busting adventures that were more minor. Yeah. Or, again, just from his own weird fascinations. It's his very own uh, <clears throat> Warren Museum. Yeah, I keep making him out to be like this Emmett Brown, but it's like there's almost kind of like an Indiana Jones to him as well, where it's like he has his, his trinkets and his... Yeah. You know, a paranormal Indiana Jones. Um, so, and then, like, the little, little podcast kid is like, the mom's like, what the hell is that? He's like, dude, this thing is so cool. Can I have it? He's like, yes, don't blow it again. So he got an authentic uh, Aztec death whistle, uh, which is probably worth a ton of money. Yeah, you should probably talk about it on this podcast, because, you know, his name is podcast. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess we get a little more flirtation from, uh, uh, Tommy Doyle and Mom. <laughs> and, uh... So first he's Tommy Jarvis, now he's Tommy Doyle. Well, yeah, he was Tommy Doyle, so you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I fucking should have called him Tommy Doyle in this. Yeah, that would have been a, a little on the nose. Sorry, Lacey, but they should have. <laughs> And, uh, so, uh, God, what happens next? Um, where, uh, okay, I guess this is where, yeah, where she's, like, about to be going on a date with him, and he's, like, the kid's, like, yeah, you know, uh, he's, he's digging at your mom, man, and she's just, like, yeah, I'm vomiting inside. Um, <laughs> but, so. But which podcast would be the one to say that? Like, he is the new Ray Stan to the group, but because he is, like, of the modern age, you know what I mean? And he's a kid, you know, there's that, there's none of that impulse control. Yeah, there's no filter on him because he's a child. I do want to see this kid in other stuff because, like, I love the character design. I love the way they did his hair. Yeah, his yeah. personality. Like, he is a junior Ghostbuster. Like, if, again, I... We're now sitting in the movie theater. I have to accept that there's kid Ghostbusters. This is probably the best we'll get out of junior Ghostbusters. But again, like, it, that name is so fucking... It, it, it ruins everything, really. <laughs> I know, man. I don't understand why. Oh, God. It's something positive. Like, you cringe when you say it. His name is Podcast. Yeah, I hate that we have to keep coming back to hating on that nickname, but it is it is that yeah, bad. Yeah, I feel like I'm eating a dead horse. I know I have a tendency to repeat myself, but I'm also like, I can't, because every time, you're like, why? You're like, it's not. I can't like, get past it. It's so it's hard. It's hit the mark on that one. It's like, it's like calling anybody by the thing they do. It's like calling her experiment. You know what I mean? Yeah, with an X. Yeah, you know, it's like calling mom broke. Yeah. <laughs> Colin, Colin Finn, mechanic. Calling uh, Ray Buster. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's so stupid. That would be like you know calling me uh, you know music. What up, music? <laughs> it's stupid. Can you imagine if 
you were trying to like make music and you're like, yo, I am music. <laughs> right? Seriously. Um now but, listen to bitch slap me Jesus. Right, <laughs> yeah, listen. And uh so what what does happen next? Is this uh do we cut straight to the dates? And so we have we have Okay, well, all right, well, all right. So, I'm going to say we go to her <clears throat> discovering uh, Egon's torture chamber. And uh, he's got all kinds of shit down there. Like, Ghost Egon is, like, leading her around. Uh, and she gets down there, she sees all this stuff, and the stuff he's working on, and his cool little model of the barn and shit, and... Uh, you see these filthy, filthy jumpsuits uh, hanging up. This is where the fan service goes too far for me, and I made sure to make a specific note of it. Is that it's like I love you. You remember this from the time we recorded the podcast, but also people who know me know I fucking love the original Ghostbusters. I know basically like every line. I know every scene. I love it. But even to me, I was like the fucking crunch bar. The front yeah. bar. I was even for me that scene in the original was a throwaway, and that is like the only reason it's funny is like the what the fuck value of like why is Ray smiling at the crunch bar? You know what I mean? Yeah. But he left that dirty, like it looked empty. So it's like you're telling me he ate it, and then just like and I leave shit in my pockets for shit that for time longer than it needs to be. Listen, I'm not acting like I'm Mister Cleanly over here, but for. 30, like, nearly 40 years. It's still good. It's so delicious. But yes, yeah, so she sees all this cool stuff, and uh, uh, I don't know what she takes out of there. I guess this is where she finds the proton pack. Yeah, because yeah, it's missing some pieces. Because the initial thing that, like, launches this sort of mystery box off is the trap. The trap is the first key, and they tested it out already, and now they got the further equipment. And you know that this is a legacy sequel when, once we finally get to the Proton Pack scene, um, I'm pretty sure Red Letter Media pointed it out, where it's like you got those cool-ass shots of the Proton Pack from different angles, where it's like... The whole comedy of the Proton Pack is it's like this big, bulky piece of shit. Yeah, it's this bulky oh, piece of shit that could probably destroy the city. If yeah, not used it's properly. Blunt, it's a bulking nuclear accelerator. Yeah, and so she's like, she's like, it's missing something. And Ghost Egon is like, here's the thing it needs. And she's like, okay, what about needle-nose pliers? And it's like, here's your needle-nose pliers. Uh, she's totally cool with... And she don't know it's Ghost Egon, you know, at this point. She's just like... This is just a ghost telling me to do shit. Her logic skills. She's like, the thing is helping me out. So yeah. I'll keep allowing it to. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty out there. And so I believe while this is happening, um, Finn, let's say he's working on the vehicle. He's like, all oh, right, you know. And so my thing about this is, okay. And they did, this, this also happened in uh, Jurassic World. And I'm a big fan of the Jurassic World movies. I like those a lot. Uh, but, uh, so, what did he really do to get this thing running again? We never saw him do a thing except for have the hood up and then uh, go to crank it up. 
And she showed up to him, like, just hitting the fucking side of it with a hammer. Yeah, and it's not working. He's trying to get it to crank. He's trying to get it to turn over. And then Ghost Egon lays the little wire down, and it gets it running again. And I'm like, okay, all right, first... So it's useless, basically. Yeah. So I'm like, you didn't fix this car. <laughs> uh, so my thing is, is... How long has this car been sitting here? Obviously, it's been sitting there for a few decades, as it looks. Uh, and these tires have to be dry-rotted. I am sure they should not have air in them anymore. I'm sure if there is gas in this car, this gas is old and useless. I'm sure this car needs oil. Say what? They said that gas is from the Reagan era. It's not running that car. <laughs> exactly. Like, this, uh, I'm sure this car needs oil. There's a lot more that needs to be done to get this car running. And they did that in Jurassic World where the two kids are, are running around and they see all the old Jurassic Park shit and they fucking get the Jeep running. And I have the same problem with that. I'm like, this is a part of the park that is closed off. Nobody goes here... Uh, it is, this shit has been sitting here for 30 years. How is it still working? You uh, know when they do, because they eventually will. I'm not going to even act like if they do. When they eventually do the new Back to the Future, it's going to be the same thing with the DeLorean. Yeah, 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 it's happening. It, you know it's happening. Even though Part 3 ended with the end, it was to be continued, um, to be concluded, and then the end. Yeah. And then the video game was a nice little, if you wanted a four, like... Yeah, those were actually some fun little video games. Uh, the little, was, was Telltale made those? Yeah. Yeah, those were pretty fun. So that's what I'm saying, the video games, and again, the Ghostbusters video game rocks. I am not a big gamer. I don't, like, complete many games. I don't go back and replay a lot of games, but fucking the Ghostbusters video games, I've replayed... Like, probably more times than I can count on my own hands. It's that... Like, and it's not even that the story was that fantastic, but it just felt genuine. It was written by Dan and Harold. It had all the voices. It was the closest thing to a reunion we were going to get. There was no Dana Barrett and no Louis Tully, but it kind of filled the same purpose. I call it the Star Wars method, because the original Star Wars trilogy is like, we do the Death Star, we do something different, and then we go back to the Death Star. This one was like, we do Gozer, we do something different, we go back to Gozer. The video games end this. Same thing with the Dark Knight trilogy. It's like, we do the League of Shadows, then we do the Joker, and now we're back to the League of Shadows. You yeah. know what I mean? They do that in spite of the original Spider-Man trilogy as well. You know, we do, uh, we, where they cut back to it actually being Sandman, who accidentally... Uh, killed Uncle Ben and stuff like it. A lot of them, all, a lot of them do like a lot of threes do like to go back to the first one. The three is meant to wrap up the loose ends, but like I said, this isn't Ghostbusters three. <laughs> so Ghostbusters, I know, like even in previous podcasts, like Red Letter Media is one of my favorite YouTube channels, and I tend to agree with a lot of their points. Yeah. But there's another channel, uh, OCP Communications, where I like a blend of their ideas. Where I like Red Letter Media's idea of having it be drawn out more, make it a mini-series. If we're really going to go this tone with it, let's really make it its own thing. But I also agree with OCP Communications as, like, Shandor should have been the main antagonist. And if we're doing this thing that we're going back to Gozer, have her re-entry into this world 
um, be the looming threat that we have to stop. Like, don't let it get to that point. That way we still have a new antagonist. Because we have J.J. Simmons playing Evo Shandor. Like, that is a cool fucking casting I know he gets cast in everything, but it's like, he was in Juno. Jason Reitman is cool with J.K. Simmons. That, was that J.K. Simmons? It was. It I was. had no idea. So, and he gets fucking torn in half like a piece of tissue, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that went nowhere. Absolutely nowhere. It would have been cool if he was the main threat, and then Red Letter Media threw in, and it's like, they're a mining town. It's like, they should have taken on ghost miners. We see a zombie miner. It's like, imagine an army of those fucks. Yeah. So, he gets the ecto-cooler run-in, <clears throat> and... The ecto-cooler? Yeah, my bad. The, the ecto-one. This thing's running on high speed. Yeah. So, he gets the ecto-one uh, run-in. And he's just driving through the field. So it cuts to uh, Podcast and Phoebe, and they're, they're playing with the proton pack, and they just completely obliterate um, the uh, the bottle she was aiming at. And I to a really good line. I love where it's like, did I get it? It's like, get it! You, you destroyed it! It doesn't exist anymore! Yeah. And, but, um, um, so... The Finn Wolfhard driving scene, number one, I... Going back to the John Hughes comparison, very Ferris Bueller, where there's the shot of it, whoa, we're going over the hill and the music's going to stop for a second. But I also have to shout out, they used the great Buzzcocks, too, for that moment. Yeah, yeah, I was going to bring up the Buzzcocks. I was like, right on, right on, because we've had a lot of 1950s kind of music, and then they throw in like an old school kind of punk track or some shit. I was like, right on with that. Not that soundtracks, like, really make the difference with movies, but it's, like, when they do choose a good tune, I was like, because it, you know, especially if we're talking Buzzcocks, like, kudos to them for not doing, like, ever fallen in love with someone, ever fallen in love, you know. Yeah. Like, that was kind of a, that was a cool out-of-left-field choice for a song uh, that I was not expecting. And so they get the proton pack, and they, they, they're like, oh, shit, there's a ghost here in the barn. And this is something I like, alright? I was expecting this ghost to be Slimer. I think everyone was expecting Slimer. Say what? I said, thank Christ they did not use Slimer. Even though this ghost is a Slimer replacement, his name is Muncher. Yeah, basically, Uh, basically he's like a Slimer relative, you know, like... I'm sure there are different versions, you know, different styles of this same ghost in this universe. So I like that idea that it's kind of like branching out the different kind of uh, <clears throat> ghost it could be. But I think me and I think everybody else in the world were expecting this to be Slimer. And instead, it's like this six armed ghost and he's chewing on the metal and stuff. And. Uh, I was like, okay, that was cool. That was like the first time the movie actually, because uh, I didn't have many expectations, but that was one where I was like, I was like, uh, yeah, it's going to be Slimer. Here he comes. But no, it was something new. Yeah, exactly. It was something new. I was like, okay, that's really cool. But it's then, an offshoot. It's an offshoot of Slimer, but still, I'll take that. And you want to know something else that's very interesting about Muncher. He is voiced by Josh Gad. Played, um, I did see that. Frozen. And if we go back to that, like, I'm not trying to link my YouTube channel, 
Like, I, but in my Ghostbusters fan film idea video, not only did I suggest Paul Rudd as a member of the team, but I suggested Josh Gad. So we have two cast members who I've suggested being placed in roles I did not expect them to be placed in. Maybe, maybe the producers saw your video. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Where's my goddamn royalties? And, uh, so, <clears throat> so I liked him. I was like, that's cool, you know. And, but then I started looking at him, and I'm like, I told Stiles, I was like, this ghost looks a whole lot like Fatso from the Casper movie, 1995. Yeah. Which, weirdly enough, features a cameo of Dan Aykroyd as Race Dan. It's talking about, who you going to call? Someone else. It is canon. That was during the time where Egon left and he was off on it. But that is in Go- Bro, thank you. Idea. That is in Ghostbusters 3 comic series coming soon. Boom. Seriously. We could get... That's Casper of 1995 is an in-between movie. Casper is in the Ghostbusters it. universe. Anymore. He's down to his like He's like, Peter's already looking for new jobs. You know? Yeah. Ray Sands is the last one to hold on to the Ghostbusters legacy, and this is like his last bit. He's like, fuck this. I'm the only one left, and I cannot handle these ghosts on my own. That's yes, why he said... That's the last one. You're right. And that makes sense now, because everybody flipped their shit over uh, Egon Spengler can burn in hell, but it's like, no, he's fucking pissed. He's like, did you see those guys? They were like fucking uh, Oprah Winfrey on hiatus, one of the ghost says in that movie. So. Yeah. So, boom, a missing link uh, to the Ghostbusters franchise. So, damn, so yeah, Ray at this point in Casper is the last Ghostbuster trying to keep it going, realizes he can't do it on his own anymore because they need everyone. They need to be able to have at least four streams of proton uh, packs. And uh, everyone else has gone their separate ways. Uh, this is all he has left. He's like, fuck it, man. And that's why he says, call someone else. Basically meaning Ghostbusters is dead. It's 1995. It's been, what, roughly six years since yeah, Ghostbusters 2? You know what he said? He said, blow it out your ass, Eric Idle. We are done. Yeah. <laughs> Boom, y'all. Boom. The Ghostbusters are... Over. I'm shutting down even the, the national sex. Because that's another thing, too, is I probably mentioned it on this podcast, but there was a, I probably gone on the same uh, tangent, but there were these two fan films made about the Denver Ghostbusters uh, that are, of course, a new team of characters, but one of them was Egon's nephew named Ed. That's how, what he would think. The Denver team is the first in Ghostbusters trying to offshoot into a different state. And, of course, it's fan fiction. The first fan film was Freddy versus Ghostbusters. And now you're incorporating Nightmare on Elm Street. But the second one was just called Return of the Ghostbusters, and it was more so an original plot. Um, but Harold Ramis had seen those fan films. He had responded to the filmmakers. And even though his word isn't like the studio's, you know, word on the whole thing, he basically was like, yeah, fuck it, like, this stuff is awesome, like, this is canon. And in the Ghostbusters video game, 
when you're walking through the firehouse, there's a little child, because since this one takes place in the 90s, the fan films take place in the 2000s, there's the childish drawing of a Ghostbuster on the wall, and it says, To Uncle Egon from Ed. Hmm. So that's all completely erased as well. <clears throat> but let me take a piss real quick. Yeah, after that, that deserves a piss break. All right, awesome. That's basically what I'm getting at with that tangent is I feel like Egon would make for a better uncle character than a dad or a grandfather. Yeah, because, like, Egon, Egon would not uh, be the one to settle down. Like, work is his life. Uh, research is his life, which also makes sense for... He would he would leave. He would be too obsessed with the crap going on in his head, and he's like, "Fuck, fuck my wife, uh, fuck my kid." You know, I've got to I've got to deal with this shit. Uh, so it it makes sense. Like I said, based on the way we evaluated him uh, in the uh, in the first movie, in the second movie, it would make sense for him to be this way. Uh, so, at this point, uh, they're trying to capture the ghost, and I think what happens here, is this where, like, I don't know, Finn shows up in the car, and they all hop up in, hop in the car? Is that what happens? That is exactly what happens. The two scenes parallel, and there is kind of like a funny thing where it's like, you have a friend, you have a car. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> well, he doesn't have a license, but... This is my favorite sequence in the whole movie, and I don't even think it's like a mindless action scene. I like that you have that Sedgwick Hotel music playing as they're zooming down the street and, you know, chasing after Muncher. Muncher's shooting fucking, like, bullets out of his uh, mouth. I don't know how Phoebe doesn't get hit hanging out of the car, but I'm willing to not think about it because the scene is so awesome. Yeah, uh, it is a cool action scene. Uh, they... It's probably one of the better ones in the movie. Um, and I they are, this is like the peak of the movie. Like, this is the middle point, and then from here, like, cause I would say, despite what we've been talking about, um, especially watching it again, I think the first half is at least intriguing enough to keep me interested. Yeah, it's incorporating the old and the new. It's a lot of build-up, man. It's a whole lot of build-up. After this sequence is when it starts to go downhill because it's like the build-up is starting to be paid off, but the payoff is more so, now let's go by the numbers. Now let's go back to Ghostbusters 1. Yeah. Um, it's at least a fresh, new Ghostbusting scene. And again, you just kind of have to get over that it's kid Ghostbusters, and it's like, it's a cool fucking scene. Yeah, and they are destroying this town. Meanwhile... Um, the mom's on the date talking about, oh, I wish Phoebe would, like, get into a little more trouble, you know, meaning, yeah. like, oh, I wish, like, she would act more like normal girls her age, but then she gets in trouble, and she's like, fuck you. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they destroy the town, and, you know, this is how you do a, um, a big-budget action scene in Ghostbusters, and, and Ghostbusters 2016 is how you don't do big-budget Ghostbuster action scenes. What are you talking about, dude? Ghost be up on all, on her wall. Yeah. She must be looking tall. <laughs> you, yeah, get Fallout Boy and Missy Elliott. Call them. A new Ghostbusters is out. Yeah, exactly. They were probably very upset they didn't get called for this one, but I don't think their track would have worked in this time. <laughs> <laughs> 
But somebody could edit it during this scene. Yeah. Uh, so they so I like this sequence, and like you said, it's kind of like the best we can get out of a big budget. Because uh, it's well, still pretty small scale. Like it's still pretty small scale. I, I like it because it shows the whole town. Like it shows you how small this town is. Exactly. I love that. And then one other thing I want to point out is, even though the mom isn't big on the science and is trying to forget about it... Hey, hold on two seconds. Hold on two seconds. Sorry about that, folks. I had a phone call and... uh, Negotiations. Yeah, so where were we at? What were you saying before I interrupted? One of the things is that I know that the mom is trying to not think about Egon, not even pay attention to the ghost-busting shit, but it's clear that she's aware of what he did. Yeah. Um, that she purposefully hid it from the kids. And when she sees the ghost-busting equipment at the jailhouse, um, you know, I just kind of feel like didn't she just have a ghost fly by her in the restaurant? Yeah, but, like, they didn't really... It was so fast, they didn't really see what it was. That's what it had to be, right? That it's like, they probably more felt it, and it was more so for the audience to see, you yeah. know? Yeah, But that's kind of lingered in my head that it's like, still, though, some weird shit's been going on since she got here. It's like, I get that you're mad and all, but you did just say you wish Phoebe got out there more, and it's like, yeah, it's weird but she's incorporating her weird science shit into her social life. Yeah. And all of that. I do like that uh, we see some different gadgets. We see some different stuff. So we have a trap that's on wheels, uh, and it's remote control. That That was kind of cool, and that it it pops out from under the car. uh, And... Uh, it feels like something that podcast just put together from the old trap, just, like, thinking of, like, maybe it was something that they had, but in my head canon, I'm thinking, like, he just screwed the old trap onto the wheels. <laughs> that was an RC car of his. Yeah. Um, so that was cool, because, like, this movie added some new gadgets, but it didn't go overboard, whereas the 2016 Ghostbusters... I mean, they had pistol things and shit. Yeah, like, they got stupid with uh, a lot of that shit. But this one, everything kind of felt more, uh, more, uh, real based on the character's money and, uh, resources. One, and also that it's like the Ghostbusters just started in the 2016 one, and then all of a sudden, like, Within a couple of months, they have all these things, like yeah. a, an arsenal, basically. Yeah. And some of them, they are just grinding up ghosts with. Like, they're not even busting. Like, some of them, they are just, like, killing souls. When, <laughs> yeah, they're not trapping them in anything. They're like, we're not busting anymore. We're ghost killers. Yeah, they're but, just they're blowing heads off and shit. But, um, oh, she literally does say, say hello to my little friend. I was about to say that as a joke. Uh, the one credit I will give the 2016 one over this one is that even as bad as the comedy is, I keep mentioning that, like, my big nitpick with this is the tonal uh, shifting. At least the Ghostbusters 2016 was solely, like, one thing, and it was really trying to aim for goofy comedy. Uh, Ghostbusters by spirit is more of, like, a dry comedy, but 
I can't wait to give them kudos that it's like they had their tone set. Like whether you agree with it or not, it's like this is the shit we're doing. Um, yeah. You know, whereas with this, you can go back to my previous comments that we've been talking about. Yeah. Um. So they they capture the ghost and they stop right at the bridge and then boom, busted. Police come. They busted a ghost and then they got busted. Yeah, I was about to say you better catch that pun there. <laughs> And so now they're in jail, and it was kind of funny. The the kid was like, man, I'm just excited we're in jail. And they're sitting there talking, and then boom, here comes uh, Lucky. God, what a name. Uh, and he's like, whoa, you're in jail too? And she's like, yeah, man. And uh, then she walks out, and she's like, actually, Sheriff's my dad. And this is yeah. it, It's a bit of a filler piece, because it's like, you know, I don't know. Did, did we really need to? Uh, but actually, actually, before, bef- I believe before all this ghost busting shit, that's when Finn is with girlfriend and, and their friends on top of the mountain, and that's when the mountain does its crazy bullshit and scares everybody. Am I right? The whole, yes, you're correct, but the whole thing with the, the, the cop is my dad is, yeah, we just need her to be in that setting at the time of that season. Yeah, she's just waiting on her ride home. And it's like, how about this town is four square miles, you can walk home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because they're trying to sell what a small town it is. It's like, oh, this person's my dad. We all know each other. You know what I mean? Which is, like, you know, pretty common for small towns, but it's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, this small town probably hasn't seen a murder in 80 years. Like, it's that small. Like, dad is like a cop, let alone, like, the sheriff. It's like, if somebody's trying to fuck with you, like, they'll find you. Yeah. I mean, but you're right. It's just there for her to be there at the jail uh, and, and to corroborate uh, his story, because he's telling them, yeah, I saw this crazy stuff at the mountain, and she's like, what, the things he says is true, I was there. Yeah, and of course she didn't bring it up to her dad before, because, you know. Yeah, you know, she could have helped him out. And I also feel like, um, it may not just flat out be a callback, but... You have them in jail. It's kind of like, you know, each Ghostbusters movie, you have to have the scene where they're being locked up. Yeah. Um, and so, boom. She's like, don't I get a phone call, right? And I don't know who the, the actor is that's playing the sheriff. And the only other thing I think of that he is in is he plays, uh, uh, I believe he's playing Riza and Divine's dad on uh, the Wu-Tang American Saga series. Um, I don't know if he's actually their dad, or if he's, like, the, their mom's, like, on-and-off boyfriend guy. I can't remember, but, yeah, he's on there. But he's almost like, uh, who, what's the name of the actor who just passed away, who played Wesker, who was in, uh, um, in Fringe, uh, that black dude, uh... Lance yes. This guy is almost like Dollar Store Lance Reddick. Mm. Yeah, no, I definitely recognized his face, but I couldn't place a name to it. It's almost like if Lance Reddick and Dave Chappelle were, like, just <laughs> together. I could see it. I definitely could. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so... <clears throat> it's, distracting, it's distracting me from this Dan Aykroyd sequence because I wrote a note that, you know, it is literally phoned in, this first cameo. <laughs> it is phoned in. So... 
She's like, don't I get a phone call? And he's like, yeah. And then he hands her the phone. Who you going to call? I was like, oh, there it is. There it is. There it is. They said it. I no ghost, but they had to do it. They said it. They said it. So she calls, boom. Ray stands, and he's got the red phone, and... Uh, what's funny is, is the fact that he's still got the red phone, still has the damn same number. Uh, but when she's talking to him, he's ready to hang up. He's ready to be like, fuck this. But he is clearly the only one still holding on to this Ghostbuster shit. So why are you ready to hang up? Uh, he's hurt. Yeah, he's hurt. But she's... People really made a big deal out of, like... Egon Spangler can burn in hell. Ray would never say that, and I agree that he wouldn't, but they linger on his face, and you can tell that it's like he's not meaning what he's saying. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like... He hears that he's dead. Like, there's genuine, like, he's he's hurt by what he did, but he still cared about him. Yeah, and he's like, he's he's upset that he's dead, that he's lost his chance to uh, make amends... Uh, it's one of them things where it's like, you were all friends, somebody made a mistake, but everybody's too stubborn to, uh, to uh, say I'm sorry first. Basically, especially amongst these guys, you yeah. know what I mean? And nothing happens until it's too late. Uh, and so they need to sprinkle the mood slime on each other and make up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, too bad they used it all on the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, dude, we reunited the whole city of New York, and even that wasn't enough. Egon still went nuts, though. <laughs> so, uh, so he's talking, she's like, you know, all this it's stuff is happening. Up all the slime, and he lost his real fuck buddy. Yeah, but all this stuff is happening, she's telling him, yeah, you know, da-da-da-da-da, and he's like, so we, you know, Winston's doing this now, uh, Vankman's doing this now, uh, the fact that Bankman went back to academics is pretty surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he could still be a sleazeball. Bankman should be, like, selling shoes or something like that. Like, I don't know. Like, he should be, like, trying to scam people with Bitcoin. Yeah, he's back uh, He's back at school trying to fuck teenagers. Which, you know, wait till the after credits scene. He gets his comeuppance for that. Yeah, yeah. A good old, good old comeuppance. That was a, a cute little scene. Um, we get to that. <laughs> yeah. And so, uh, he, then he mentions the line, we lost the firehouse. Uh, you know, we don't, we go, we went from like, you know, what, X amount of phone calls a week to one, you know, there were no more ghosts to bust. Uh, basically, we did our jobs too good. So yeah, Ghostbusters 2 still happens because that's like when the nacho fries are back. You know what I mean? It was a novelty to have them back. Yeah. There was actually a like separate paranormal event happening. That actually makes Ghostbusters 2 more special in my heart. You know what even would be great? Ghost shit. It goes just that badass. If they could go a little deeper and people quit taking Ghostbusters seriously because of shit like Ghost Hunters and ghost uh, adventures, you well, know. They had their own show for a little bit, and it only lasted, like, a couple of episodes. Like, it wasn't even a one-season deal. Like, after episode two, like, it was, like, demo reel. People are like, this sucks. Yeah, you know, so they go a little deeper on what made people not care about Ghostbusters anymore, because it's like, Ghostbusters in this universe is the real deal, but then you have people like Ghost Adventures and, 
they're making the shit seem silly, and nobody, everybody's like, Shh. I don't know if this was an idea I came up with, or it might have been um, Red Cow Arcade's podcast that did it, but, like, the best thing for a Ghostbusters sequel, especially if you want to do it different, make it a mockumentary, Ghostbusters, where are they now? Hey, <laughs> yeah, that would be pretty funny. There was a sketch where they did that with, like, the kids who visited uh, Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory that was made, like, years ago. And it's like, that was a great parody idea. It's like, Ghostbusters, especially in this world where it's, like, it's goofy but still grounded in reality, which is what makes all this crazy shit even funnier. Like, make a documentary where you are selling it like the Ghostbusters are real, and you don't need to have the old actors do a lot of action because they could be in their characters as old men reminiscing on how this just didn't work. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they're there, and they get bailed out pretty easy. In fact, they, they are let off, really. They destroyed the town. I mean, they are kids, but also at the same time, it's like, yeah, that is terrorism. Yeah, property got destroyed. She even, she even pulled the damn weapon out on the damn sheriff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and that's when the mom really gets pissed. That's where, now my question with my, okay, get, get out of here. <laughs> She's very passionate. I'm sorry. Because it's like, it's like, all right, these kids just destroyed the town. Like, somebody's got to pay for that. Um... Exactly. If the Russian can't get money out of her, who can? Somebody literally says it's like, oh, you're the you're the daughter of dirt farmer. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he always bought some weird shit. Yeah, that little hardware store scene that was pretty good too earlier on in the movie. Yeah, that was that that was filler, but it was at least like fun filler. You know what I mean? Yeah, it it, it was filler, but it you know it explained the town. Like the whole town knows. Uh, the weird shit Egon was doing up there. Yeah, he had a presence among them. Yeah. And I like this idea of Egon being this mad scientist on the hill of this little town, and everybody's afraid to go up there like he's this Dr. Uh, Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People, people keep disappearing, and nobody sees them. All I see is a bolt of lightning overneath that Spangler house. <laughs> the old Spangler house. Up on the hill. You don't want to go into that old Spangler house. <laughs> Nobody goes <laughs> there anymore. You get, you get Fred, uh, uh, God, what's his name? Uh, fucking Herman Munster. Um, Fred Gwynn, yeah, 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 yeah. Fred Gwynn, you don't want to go up that road. So oh, that's the old Spangler house. house. You don't want to go up there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so they get out of there, and I'm guessing, I'm guessing this is where, uh, Paul Rudd goes to Walmart. This is the oh, biggest... In my notes, I wrote in all caps, pointless empty Walmart with pointless empty basket robins and pointly, pointless empty marshmallow men with no setup other than pointless empty <laughs> This is the most product placement ass shit. Uh, but, uh, and Paul Rudd cannot avoid the Baskin Robbins product placement in particular because the Ant Man movies are full of them to the point where it became a running joke. His character is a criminal, and when he gets out of jail, all he can get is the Baskin Robbins job. And then even after he becomes a superhero in the Ant Man movies, they keep going back to Baskin Robbins. 
And sure, it's cute and all, but it's like we all know that it's like brought to you by Baskin Robbins. You well, know what I mean? Here's something I'm gonna say though. All right, the Baskin Robbins, especially on the original Ant Man, if you remember, Edgar Wright was supposed to do Ant Man. He was going to be Cornetto. He was going to be serving out Cornetto. Right. See what I'm saying? Maybe that is a reference to Cornetto from Edgar Wright's uh, Cornetto trilogy. Maybe. And then the last minute, like, because Edgar Wright has a producing credit on that, but I even joked with my friends about it recently that, like, he gave probably no money to that. They were just like, please don't hate us, Edgar Wright. But uh, maybe there's... Maybe fuck this. I'm going to do a documentary about the Sparks Brothers. (laughs) But, uh, but yeah, so he's in this damn Walmart, and there's nobody there. It is the most empty-ass Walmart in history. I don't care what time of night this is. Even when Walmarts used to be 24 hours, there'd be enough people in there to see this giant-ass Zool dog running around fucking shit up. that Zool killed everybody, which there could have at least been, it would have been dark, but it would have been fun if there was a visual da- gag of, like, blood smears in the back that fucking... Paul Rudd's not seeing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of like... They think it that through. They just knew they had to get their product placement in, and this would be the scene to do it. Yeah, let's just do it all right here in one scene. Come on, you're not even going to do the gag of, like, welcome to Walmart, and the dog's pass by. Oh, shit! (laughs) And... So, like, he's walking around, and then, all right, so he sees the little Stay Puft Marshmallow dudes. Now, that's, uh, this is only there to be fan service. This is only there to be a nostalgia bit, because the only reason we had the giant Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is because he was going to appear in any form that uh, they they wanted, and so he thought... adjective based on our established trauma from camp. Yeah. So... Paul Rudd's not thinking about it. I get that Zool is possessing it, and Stay Puft is a brand. I wouldn't have minded if the marshmallows came to life, but they are fully fully formed marshmallow men. It would have been, I could have done with the callback if, like, maybe it was, like, marshmallows with teeth. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, this is, this is every marshmallow in the packages coming to life. But it was, it was a fun little cute scene there. I liked watching them just murder each other happily. That uh, was a pretty nice twist to it. That like I like the one guy putting himself in the bed of s'mores, but it's like, but again, you know why it was put in there, and that's ultimately what the problem is. Yeah, yeah, like it, it was baby fun. Nut, it was cute. Baby nut. They're doing all the bait. Like the baby shit was very pop. It is still very popular. You know what I mean? They did the fucking Austin Power Super Bowl commercial where you can't get Burn Troyer back, so you got Baby Evil. Yeah. Uh, and so then the Zuldog comes and he's running from the Zuldog, and so he goes out of the parking lot. There, there's his car and two other cars out in the parking lot. So there's like two employees in this Walmart sleeping somewhere. I do appreciate that the Zuldog is like not only a practical effect, yeah. but they also showed it in like full Walmart lighting. But it's immediately nullified by the fact that when it runs, it looks like a CG turd. Yeah, like, I do appreciate, there's a ton of, uh, of practical effects in this movie that, uh, uh, I highly appreciate. Especially the fact that the ghosts are more muted colors, kind of like the original, whereas in that 2016, they were very bright colors and vibrant colors, which I did like. 
I do like bright, oversaturated colors, but it just, I don't know, it was just a little too much in that Ghostbusters movie. But I do like that this kind of goes and back to the... Even the regular scenes in 2016 Ghostbusters were like, the lighting was overexposed and yeah. it looked pretty, uh, like they needed to put it through Adobe Premiere one more time. Yeah, it's real sterile. Um, yeah. and overblown though, so it kind of was like this weird, like... Starburst color. Yeah. A Skittles commercial with Ghostbusters. Yeah, exactly. It's the rainbow. And so, I love, what I like is, uh, his windshield is still busted, and I like that he, he runs into his car through the windshield. Yeah. <laughs> and there is that visual gag of, like, he sits on the car and the fucking tire fucking bursts. And yeah. There's a little, <laughs> he's sitting there. Yeah, that, did did you tell him it came out of the front? <laughs> yeah, that's all that scene needed. <laughs> this is again where it's like I didn't mind, like stupid name and all. I didn't mind Gary Gruberson, but it's like here's now where it's like, oh, this is all we really needed it for is he's gonna bang the mom and they're gonna summon Gozer. Yeah, they're gonna be gatekeeper on the busters at the end. Yeah, it turns back. It, even this is another thing that fucked with me is that. Even after they changed him back, not the mom, but he turns back into a dog one more time. Yeah, he does. Just as fuck, Gary. <laughs> so, Zool Dog runs in there and gets him, and it cuts to, uh... What does it cut to after this? This is also where we... Uh, coincide with the mom, but let me let me refer to my notes just to be sure. Is this where she finds the uh, secret killing basement? She does, and then the duel comes out. Ah, jump scare! Five nights at Freddy's. Yeah, so she goes down there and sees all the weird shit, and then but she sees what her daughter didn't see—a massive. Uh, well, I guess Egon shows, you know, put, shines the light on the old picture, and then it's like, boom, a lot of creepy photos taped to a wall of his granddaughter in all sorts of different, uh, ages and stuff. Like, it is, it is, it is almost, it, it's, it's 100% Egon. That mixed with the creepy line that Paul Rudd said before during the date of like, oh yeah, maybe she'll just get into like pole dancing. You know what I mean? It's like, what is this ghost wanting to do with hey, baby? You know what? Speaking of pole dancing, while that scene is going on, she slides down the pole. Yeah, what the fuck? Into Jesus. the basement. I, I didn't know this was a Brian Singer movie. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but yeah, so that's another thing is like, do we necessarily need the pole going into the secret basement? Because, yeah, they had the fireman's pole in, in Ghostbusters because their headquarters was a firehouse. House. you got to try this pole. Wow, you, wow, you're right. Call back again. Unnecessary callback. Yeah, like, there was no reason for there to be a pole there other than, hey, remember this? Wow, I didn't even notice that. God damn it. <laughs> but yeah. another thing that I left is that so Zool gets into them, and they head back to the house, and he's immediately in Zool mode, and my note said, I get that Zool, 
that this is Jewel and the actress is trying, but Sigourney Weaver literally got her job for the first Ghostbusters by jumping up on the desk and acting like a dog. You can't top that. Yeah. With the head, with the fast breathing and shit like that. Like, she is trying, but it's like, especially for something so awkward, such a weird demand for a role. Sigourney was like one of the few people who could pull that weird shit off. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so boom, his little dog possesses mom, and I would call this a slight, which weird is, uh, so she's possessed, and it's very Evil Dead-y. Yes. Uh, I'm thinking a lot about Evil Dead, because speaking of, like, soft reboots, not necessarily legacy sequels, but we just had Evil Dead Rise. Exactly, and the trailers for Evil Dead Rise, this whole little mom Zul scene, reminded me of the stuff I would see in the trailer for Evil Dead Rise. And, and we should definitely talk about Evil Dead Rise at a future date, because I think it has a lot of interesting talking points. I would love, love to hear what your thoughts on it were. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, when you check it out, let me know. It, it's, I agree with you. That's what I thought of as well. But of course, they have the, there is no mom, only sure. Yeah, we had to get that line. We had to get that line. Um... And, uh, then she, like, busts through the window. Uh, no, and she also tries to hit on podcasts. So, again, uh, Brian Singer, uh, get, off, get off the set. Yeah. So, uh... Are you the key master? And they're like, what the fuck? Yeah. And so she busts through the window, right, and gets to the mountain. And Paul Rudd is there, and this is a little too silly. I like uh, your eyes. Yeah, like, he kind of gets up all goofy and shit, and he's like, oh, I like your eyes. And she says something, and he's like, oh, thanks. And, uh... Because that he responds with just animalistic growling, and he understands what she's saying, kind of like a Chewbacca thing. But what we really need, because it really is a Paul Rudd moment, it is kind of funny seeing him with the red eyes acting like Paul Rudd. Kind of like Rick Moranis with the red eyes acting like Rick Moranis, but... Paul Rudd as a go- like in a Ghostbusters movie needed to be, like I said, kind of the comic relief Bankman character, and you honestly could have had him be the schlubby, wet hot American summer persona in a Ghostbusters jumpsuit. Yeah. So so what happens next, alright? So basically they bang so they can What happens uh, next, Travis? Have you seen Ghostbusters? That's what happens. Say what? I said, have you seen Ghostbusters? That's what happens next. Yeah, basically. Except for except for anybody having a date rape drug to uh, subdue them. That's true. Well, Bill Murray's not here yet, so give it time. <laughs> but, yeah, so we basically go paint by numbers in this small town, but in between that, Gozer rises, and... That's where we have Sandor comes out of his grave. When oh, they see, we, we skipped a bit. We skipped a bit where they go into the mine. Yeah, they established that they explored the mine, and they established that Sandor was there. You mentioned that the calendar was there, so we already talked about that. Yeah, so Sandor's um, there as a uh, and you you Sandor's there in this glass coffin, and. Then you find out that what's causing all the earthquakes is this giant, this giant proton pack, basically. And any time all the ghosts try to come up through the hole, it shoots them back down in it. 
that's what we opened up on at the beginning. I wrote a note that it's like it's a very um, common trope now with modern movies with the advent of CGI that we have the blue beam shooting up into the stormy sky, but this time it's a proton beam. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say sky beam, but it wasn't... At least it had a... It was not the worst sky beam in modern movies. Yeah. It was kind of cool that it's like you open up on the sound of like... It sounds like a proton pack starting, and then it's like a volcano. It shoots out of the sky. But yeah, you're right. So at this point... Um, Gozer comes back, and, uh, Xandor, is that his name? Shandor. Shandor. He wakes up, he's like, oh, yes, we can rule the world together! And then, boom, ripped in half. Probably the most violent death I've ever seen, uh, in Ghostbusters. Probably the, after Egon, the second death in, in a Ghostbusters movie. Uh, yeah, well, he's the most violent. Not counting, not counting dead Bill Murray in Ghostbusters 2016. Not counting that. But you uh, don't see him die. You don't see him splatter on the ground. But you know it was probably brutal. Uh, there was a big cleanup job just to get all the Murray off the ground. But uh, I really wish that Shandor would have risen from his tomb earlier and would have been the main antagonist. Uh, because another point that I have is that Ghostbusters, uh, Ghostbusters, Gozer comes back, and he's more or less the exact same look as he was in Ghostbusters 1, when the whole thing, you want to talk about progressive, like Bucky said, like, is it a man or a woman? It could be whatever it wants. And they throw in a line where it's like, oh, maybe she remembers. But it's like, even still, it's like, so this is just what you like being, then. Uh, yeah. She's played by Olivia Wilde for no reason. I feel like, you know, you could have gotten any um, actress, probably somebody who closer resembles the actress who plays Gozer, but it's Olivia Wilde. Yeah. I think they did a good job making her look uh, like the original. Um, but, uh, so yeah, at this point, the, uh, they destroy the little proton shit, keeping them in there. <laughs> We're going with Gozer, though. I hate to cut you off, but I really am thinking about this. Even with Gozer, though, it's like, why not? Like, if we're really going to still have it be Gozer, why not have it come back in a completely different form? That would make more sense, you know, especially when they said it's neither a she or a him. Uh, Just to keep it fresh, you know what I mean? Because, again, that's another thing I wrote in the notes. It's like, I really am not trying to poo-poo this movie. You know what I mean? I want to give it the benefit of the doubt, but it's like, let's at least do something with it then. Yeah. Because you know, <laughs> yeah, the only reason it looks like Gozer... You know, the only reason it looks like normal Gozer is for nostalgia, which I'll trade that for not having Slimer in the movie. You know what I mean? Fair enough, but, like, you already showed us that you are willing to forego some of the previous traditions, so it's like, yeah, and they did give her, like, these, it's not like it's the exact same design, she has, like, updated, like, spikes on the side and stuff like that, she's able to uncross the streams, which is crazy, uh, but of course, you know, probably would learn from previous experiences. Yeah, so, so I, I would have preferred to see like maybe a different a different Gozer design, but that's just me. Yeah, and so um, at this point, 
is just like in the first movie, boom, all the ghosts take over the town. And this is part, this is where I was saying earlier was, I think it under-delivered. I actually would have liked to see more ghosts doing shit in the town. Like in, like in the first one, you've had a good long montage of ghosts fucking around with people. And this That's one... Like, you needed more of an I believe it's magic moment. Because even Ghostbusters 2 had, even though it didn't hold the same weight, like, and I know that you're trying to be different, it's like you need the montage of them running amok. Yeah. And they didn't do that. They even threw in, like, a reference to one of the toys from the real Ghostbusters that everybody fucking, like, blew their load over. It's like, I don't care about that. It's like, just show me a little bit more. Show me more. I love the zombie ghost miner, but again, it's less so world-building and more so, oh, yeah. there was a zombie cab driver in the original, so we gotta have a zombie ghost miner. Yeah, that's all you I, see, is a zombie ghost miner and then the, the cool-ass, creepy eyeball ghost thing. And that's, that's like it. I would have loved a full-on, I believe it's magic-esque montage. And you know what song desperately needs to be in a Ghostbusters movie, Call Me Corny? Like, they had this generic pop song playing during the end-end credits because it involves the word ghosts. It's like, bro, we need a montage of shit happening and ghost song by the doors going on. Yeah, you're talking about that generic pop song at the end of the movie? Yeah. Yeah, and she, because she says haunted house in that thing. Exactly. I would have rather had, like, some, like the whole thing with that Doors song, I always wish was in a fucking Ghostbusters project, because it has kind of that funk, that... But it's also got that ethereal, like, it... Bro, the Doors are too good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that happens, and I'm guessing this is when <clears throat> the kids suit up, right? Yes, okay. so that's what I'm saying. This would be the perfect time where it's like extend that montage a little bit, show them geared up, have them go out with the Ecto-1 yeah. while Ray Manzarek is going crazy. Why not? Yeah, so in my notes, all right, so they decide to suit up. Number one, these outfits are filthy. These jumpsuits are disgustingly filthy. Number two, why put them on at all? Uh, it's not, like, yeah, there's really, they have no connection to it. They yeah. acknowledge that, like, hey, we're related to these guys who saved the world in the 80s. But again, Gary Ruberson didn't even call them the Ghostbusters. Like, oh, these four random physicists, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, they have no emotional, Phoebe would be the, co- like, you could still have the scene, maybe Phoebe puts it on and they look at her weird. Yeah, and there's there's no reason to put them on because they they aren't necessarily practical to uh, what they're doing. There was no reason to put these uniforms on except for putting the kids in Ghostbuster uniforms. And then and then these are twelve and fifteen year old children, and these other than having to roll the sleeves up, these outfits fit pretty damn well on twelve year old kids. Yeah, it's not hanging off them at all. The sleeves are perfect. Yeah, they uh, aren't all that baggy. It's it was it, it's unnecessary. It's only there to get people dressed in the damn Ghostbuster uh, uniform. Another thing too is that aside from Phoebe, you never really get the impression that it's like they are not the new team. You know, I mean, this is a one-off thing. Yeah. It's so much so that they even need the new team to materialize out of nowhere. I don't know how they even got there. Yeah. They show up in the suits 
this is where it kind of feels like an SNL sketch, where it's like, now we do, but it also kind of, I know Phoebe comes back in the end to save the day, but it defeats the purpose of the rest of them gearing up in the suits like six. It's like, they're not, you know, and you know they're going to come back. That's another thing I wrote, is you know they're not going to leave it on the one-off Dan Aykroyd folks. Like the fact yeah. that now he's in the movie, you know he's coming back. Yeah. So. Especially when the last thing he hears is, uh, I'm his granddaughter. You know, like her being apprehended or like the, the phone call was cut off. So yeah. now he's even more like, hello, hello, oh, Egon's granddaughter, whoa, what? Yeah, so they put on the uniforms for absolutely no reason. Uh, and they decide to go back to the jail and uh, steal their shit. Uh, now, number one, where are all the police now? Well, at this point, also, like, the whole town's cracking up. Uh, fucking, you know, roads are tearing up and shit. But where's all the police in this building? Uh, you know, this just, one guy. just for them to walk in... And the kid gets the, uh, they're like, oh, no, this is a certain type of lock, da-da-da-da-da, I can't open it. And, uh, so, little podcast kid, uh, reaches his hand in there and opens up the trap, which I actually thought was a decent setup and delivery, all right? So, it's the muncher ghost, and he eats metal, and he's in the trap, the trap is behind the bars, and so they open the trap so the ghost can chew through the metal so they can get in and get the shit. So I thought that was uh, that was fairly well thought out. Mm-hmm. Um, That's great. And then it gives you it gives you your your new slimer again uh, to go and do some shit. So then they not only steal the Ecto-1 out of the uh, lockup. They also steal a fucking police car. Uh, for absolutely no reason. Because everybody... They want you to forget about it because you hear the Ecto-1's classic siren. Yeah, because everything, every everybody can fit in the Ecto-1. The only one that... They wanted to do a crime. Who is it that steals the car? Is it, is it, is it the lucky girl? Possibly, so maybe it's not even like in her mind stealing at all, even though it totally is. Yeah, it's like there was no reason to steal a police car, and then you never see it again. Had to have been a deleted scene, because even the after credits includes deleted scenes from the original Ghostbusters I had no idea about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Which I thought was a little odd. I thought that was a little wonky. Uh, to throw that in there like that, uh, just to set up a scene. I thought I was looking at CG at first, because I was like, what? This is the first time I've actually watched that end-end credit sequence, but we'll get to that. And so, when I do like, they, they, they run out, uh, they, they drive through, and I believe this is when they, they do a turn, I believe, and then, uh, I noticed... A uh, big old poster on the side of a building that was a poster advertising the Stay Puffed uh, Marshmallows. Now, Which, you know, throwback, because there was one in the original in the city. There was like a, a matte painting where they had the Stay Puffed logo on. Exactly. So, to me, that would have been a better callback to the marshmallow as opposed to cutesy little marshmallows running amok. 
Oh, yeah, no. If you were really going to go with the Baskin-Robbins uh, product placement, you might as well have the ice cream come to life. Yeah. And so uh, then they, they do the turn, they cut, and that's when you see the, the diner, the pee is out, and it says thinners, and they all get to the mountain, and uh, they get out there, they're ready to damn shoot the, they, well, actually they get there, and Gozer is there with the two dogs, and... Uh, I don't know what what really happens here on the on the way the the marshmallows start fucking with the podcast kid. This mountain sequence there is just so we could unpossess the mom because then they get her in the car and they yeah. get back to the house and they like she's explaining everything that's going on. They're like, we already know we're trying to save the world. Yeah, uh, it's yeah. all just like the final setup for the big scene. Yeah, because they get to the mountain and they unpossess the mom. And they get her, and they get oh, back. Oh, yeah, she distracts Gozer. Is this at the mountain? Yeah, at the mountain, she distracts uh, Gozer with her jokes. Yeah, the stupid jokes. That was just... I, I was just like, okay, oh, she's telling another one. Uh, okay, she's telling another one. The placement in the scene is awkward, but I did actually like the joke. Uh, you got a drink named Steve? It's yeah. like in something else, maybe. That was kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was like, oh, she's telling another one? Oh, oh, God, here's another one. But, yeah, so they get back to the house, and uh, the, that's when they all realize, oh, wow, it's, it's a giant trap. The house is a giant trap. We're going to dig through the dirt, find the cord, Na, 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 and, uh, it's basically paying off the opening of the movie because you're wondering, like, what was he... Like, you assume it's a trap of some sort, but Egon steps on it, it fucking cracks out, and those silos, like, sparks start flying out of them. Mm-hmm. So this is now that paid off where they realize, oh, that's what that means. And, yeah, so Ghost and crew show up, and she's shooting on Egon's crib. Do what? Gozer and her boys rolling up on Egon's crib. Yeah. And so I guess she... Sh- what happens here? She shoots the proton pack at Gozer or some shit? Yeah, there's a little bit of a conflict, and it seems like this is when Gary turns back into the Zool Dog. Like, they almost have the upper hand, and then she gets it right back. Then they turn uh, Lucky into a Zool Dog. Oh, it was Lucky? Yeah. Because uh, I don't think Paul Rudd ever not turned into. I think I don't think he ever changed back. I think they just replaced Mom Zuldog with Lucky Zuldog, a dog named Lucky. How about that? Well, then it's even more fucked up then because what they intend to have her do is fucking Gary Gruber. Oh my God! <laughs> don't, don't give a fuck. So. uh uh, yeah, so, you know, everything's looking dire, the podcast can't get rid of these damn marshmallows, uh, Finn Wolfhard wants to use a proton pack, but it ain't working, uh, and then, boom, real Ghostbusters show up. Ghosters coming up to the mom, oh no, they're all gonna be eaten, and then, yeah, this is when the SNL sketch starts. Ghostbusters show up. And I'm not going to lie, this was a great little scene. They, I thought they fit back into the characters together 
really well. Uh, the quips worked. I thought Bill Murray stole the show pretty well. Uh, he felt like Bankman again. He back into Bankman pretty well, and I say that he has some of the better humorous lines of the scene. And also, like, Ernie Hudson always looks good and always looks like he's having a good time. He is like the Mark Hamill of the Ghostbusters fan base, where it's like he never really left. He's always been interacting with the Ghostbusters fans, so yeah. always to see him back. Yeah. Uh, but they fight him. They fight. Goes her off for a little bit. She uncrosses the stream. Yeah, see, they, they um, straight up. They. What I like, too, is she's like, are you a god? And they're like, oh, we remember this. Like, yeah, yeah, we're all gods. We're all gods. Yep. And, uh, but I like that the first thing they go for is crossing the streams. Uh, I love the line where he's like, on three, go on two, yeah. one, two. Yeah, that was good. So that, that felt like classic Ghostbusters uh, dialogue. That that was great. I liked that a lot. And I like that they go straight for crossing the streams because they remember. They were here before. They did this. And but I do like the fact that it's not strong enough because guess what? There's not four of them. It's just three of them. And yeah. Gozer's just like tearing that shit apart. And I believe this is when uh, the girl starts again. Uh, PB starts again, and you get that. Huh? One thing I wanted to mention though is that even though this isn't the worst way they could have brought the original Ghostbusters back, it does kind of remind you why Ghostbusters three preferably should have happened in the 90s when these guys were old enough for it to still be funny, but old enough to still be able to do a little bit more action because yeah. they are kind of standing in one spot, yeah. uh, shaking, and then they get flung back into the car, which you know are stunt doubles. And uh, Peter actually has a great little monologue there where he's trying to distract Gozer. We could have been, we could have been the greatest power couple, but no, you always had to vanquish or conquer. Yeah. You always had to name something. Yeah. So that, that was pretty good. Like I said, that's classic-ass Ghostbuster shit right there. It, it really is. So that's the reason why I can't be too cynical about it is that, yeah, preferably, would have rather had it be in the 90s where they could be a little bit more agile. But, hey, they were never really that agile to begin with, so. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, it also makes sense because, like like you said, they were never agile anyway. They were just regular fucking Joes yeah. that decided to get into doing this shit to begin with. They weren't, none of them were fit. None of them, none of them go to the gym. Uh, I feel like, though, they could have set up at least uh, Winston and Peter with their own scenes, or do you feel like that could have just added more filler? That would have, that probably would have padded the movie out too much, because they already give us a Winston scene as an end credit sequence. Uh, I think, I thought it worked. Dan Aykroyd fills us in on what they were doing anyway. Yeah, I think it worked with just Dan Aykroyd as a little tease. And then everyone shows up at the end. I thought that worked a lot better, because it's like you're waiting for it now. You see Dan, but now you're waiting for everybody. Uh, if everybody if everybody had their own single scene, I think it would have ruined uh, the, uh, the reveal of all of them together. True, true. And it probably would have felt more like the 2015, where it's like, here's the obligatory Ernie Hudson cameo. Yeah. You know. Exactly. Uh, one thing, like, BB joins the mix, like, he shoots past Gozer's head, and this is where the big, he 
Egon reveal is. Yeah. And I don't, like, we kind of saw it coming. I knew that Egon was going to show up physically in some form, but I personally would have, because I just have my own feelings about bringing dead actors back to the CG. I still find it kind of unnerving. I know it's something I'm going to have to get used to as the times change because it's going to happen a whole lot more. But me personally, I would have preferred they kept it to that nice shot of the hands coming in. And that's all you see. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I think this is probably one of the better of bringing an actor back with CG because he's a ghost and he's there and everybody gets to see him one final time. He gets to help the team one final time. It felt more like a tribute as opposed to like on, uh, what was it, uh, which Star Wars brought Peter Cushing back for a... The one spin-off. Exactly. So it's like, that felt cheap. That was like, yeah, why are y'all doing this? It, it, it made more sense for me uh, to bring him back as a... Because he's a ghost already, and this was just... And the family did approve of it, but, uh, yeah, no, like I said, I still, it's a whole can of worms that we're still trying to figure out, like, the morality of it. You it's, know like when, it's like when we had the Tupac hologram, everybody was flipping out about ten years ago. Yeah, now we have D.O. holograms, now we have holograms galore. Yeah, but I'll say this is probably the first time where I was like, I'll allow this. It's not a bad Harold Ramis CG um, I'll say though, I'll say though. CG dead Harold Ramis looks a lot better than alive before death Harold Ramis was looking. That's for sure. They shaved off a couple of pounds from him, not to be mean. Yeah. They definitely, this is Egon. This isn't Harold, you know? Yeah, boom. There you go. I will out loud for Egon. But uh, he doesn't talk. Yeah, he doesn't and talk, and he just smiles and stares. Uh, doesn't even make a noise, uh, which... It's, that's fine, too. I mean, I don't need dead ghost Egon, like, apologizing to the family. I'm cool with the silent, I'm sorry, and I'm here. It's just the fact that he's there. And then, also, this is just being nitpicky. You know, everyone's, like, crying in their tissues with ghost Egon, but then the mom comes over and hugs him. Wouldn't she be slimed? Yeah, she should have some ectoplasm on her. Or maybe he has a secret ghost power where he's like, I could make myself tangible, you know? Yeah. Um, but, so, yeah, everybody joins together. He joins the team one last time. And I do like that shot when he joins them. And uh, everybody... The reaction on their faces is hilarious. It does kind of bring back that classic Ghostbusters vibe where it's like, they know what they're dealing with. What they're dealing with is weird. But even they still can't believe it. Yeah, the, I like the that they all kind of do a double take. Like, oh shit, damn, Egon's ghost has helped us. We got help from the other side. Yeah, friends, high places. And so, boom, they set the trap. They save thanks to the Ghostbusters. <laughs> We're the best. We're the beautiful. And the best joke in the movie. In my opinion, comes at like the very end point where we finally find out who podcasts one subscriber is. Yeah, it's Ray. Yeah, that was actually pretty good. And then he throws in the whole because podcast earlier had said he gave her a whole uh, USB of his entire series, and he says it really found its voice on the forty six episodes. And then you get a call back with Ray saying, "Yeah, it really found its voice on the forty six episodes." I like that too. 
Yeah. I love that running line, and it really made me start thinking about Fresh from the Basement, where it's like, uh, I wonder what episode we found our voice at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, like, I thought that was good. But then, like, honestly, it does, this movie does the thing. All right, so they all bust out of the Zool dog uh, shit. And then you get this, like, awkward shit where, like, uh, Paul Rudd's like, yeah, so, you know, we, we kind of, she's like, yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, we kind of we did it. Yeah, da 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 Like, womp, womp, womp. Uh, We're still going to be together, so it's all well. Yeah, it's okay. Now now we'll be able to have sex and both be uh, consensual. It can actually be consensual. Yeah, to be fair, none of them were consenting. Yeah, so that, like, opens up a straight can of worms. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, so, this this movie does a thing where, you know, should this movie have had an epilogue? Because it just kind of ends here. Well, because you're still kind of riding high on the fact that Harold Ramis made up with his daughter, and then it kind of does the E.T. ending where it floats up into the sky, and then it says, for Harold. So there really isn't really much left to say, because in a normal Ghostbusters movie, like, hey, it ended on the top of the tower. Like, sure, we could have the end credit sequence, but there's really no crowd of adoring fans, you know what I mean? Yeah, and see, like, this is the thing this movie does, is it ends... And the threat was supposed to be global, but it just kind of hurt a little bit of this small town. But another thing is nobody in this town was really terrorized by any of this shit. For all they know, all the roads cracking up is because of the recent earthquakes they had been getting. So well, yeah, that's what I was going on about, not just for my love of the doors, but, like, why that montage could have been a little bit more extended and shown. Yeah, like, why it should have been an army of ghost miners. Yeah, two people saw a ghost, you know? And so this, this whole ending uh, is really just there for the kids and the Ghostbusters, just for the main characters. Like, nobody is really safe. There was no real threat to anything except for... For the characters. Yeah. So, it just kind of ends, like, I mean, it's just on a small scale. It, it's The whole movie's on a small scale with a decent budget. Uh, we finally get the Ray Parker Jr. in mm-hmm. credits, which at this point, it's like, does the Ghostbusters theme at the end even feel, like, necessary? Like, it feels weird, doesn't it? It felt weird, but it felt right. Because I was like, I would, I, I'm actually glad they didn't play the song uh, during the movie at all. So to me, it worked better as a in credits deal. But one thing I forgot to mention is I did like all the all the callbacks to the old commercial uh, that they did in the old movie. Like everybody's watching it on YouTube and shit. Yeah, because that shit definitely would have been re-uploaded. But. Uh, uh. But, but aside from that, the movie's over, and then we get another kind of SNL sketch where they're doing the fucking uh, ESP, tell me what's on the back of the card. Yes, yeah, so we finally get Sigourney Weaver showing up, and uh, and what's funny is during the credits, right before the, the end credits scene, 
you get you get Sigourney's Weaver's name flashed up there. And it's like... That's the thing. So I'm like, oh, well, I, I know I'm about to see her. It's like, I'm either about to see her or I fucking missed her. And why do they got to ruin one of my favorite scenes from Ghostbusters? Like, I get that Fakeman's a dick and he was creepy, but it's like, come on, the ESP thing. Like, don't try to make me feel bad about that. Yeah, and she's shocking him and stuff. That was really there just because... It's like, oh, he's getting what he deserves. Forty years later. And it's like we already knew the whole joke is that he's a dick. And then also, going by our theory, it's like, why is Dana still talking to Peter? Yeah, so I guess, like, are they married? What's going on here? Are they married, or maybe did they finally just hit up a friendship where it's like, all right, we have boundaries, but we're still cool with each other? Like, yeah, it's just there to be like, ha-ha, fuck Peter. Yeah. Which I agree, fuck Peter, but don't fuck him like that. And then the final end credit scene, uh, we, it's a little awkward because it it, it, uh, it it rips a little plot hole in there, and it, uh, and it, they had to throw in a deleted scene of, of Janine giving Egon some random ass coin, uh, just for Which her to be like, a oh. one-off joke. Like, if I'm assuming that this is a deleted scene, my whole takeaway from that is that the one-off joke and why they cut it out of the movie was like, yeah, it's a little funny, but not that funny. Is she gives her, him the coin and she goes, he goes, oh, I don't want to take it from you. And she goes, oh, I got another one like it just at home. Yeah, and then it cuts to her talking to Winston, and she's got the coin. And so I'm wondering. Is this coin going to have something to do in the next movie? Uh, and Winston's talking about all the great shit that they've done. And uh, what I do like, though, is back in our theory of her loving uh, her, uh, uh, Egon, is that when she talks about Egon, even in the uh, scene when she first shows up at the house, there is, you know, you can tell she still cares about him, still cared about him. Like, there's, there's something we don't know. Oh, obviously. She still kept in touch with him even when he was in the house, like, as best touch as she could. Like, maybe they did eventually get together. Maybe, maybe they are hinting that she could be a girl's mom. Maybe she doesn't know her mom. the secrecy. Yeah. Uh, then... And it could have been, this is how you know that the Dan Aykroyd Starbucks line was an improv, because you could have easily thrown it away with a throwaway line that's like, you know, uh, Winston's got a big old business now, and he's like, you know, I've been doing it for my kids, but I want to do something for me, I want to be a role model. He could have done a funny line where it's like, you have no idea how much it cost me to buy out that fucking Starbucks location alone, just the one location. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, but even so, because, alright, <clears throat> he sees the Ecto-1 before the end of the movie, and he says, I'm going to take you home, I'm going to fix you up, da 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 And, um... Uh, shot before the Ghostbusters, like, I thought it was an out-of-place shot, like, they should have cut to it before the Janine scene, instead of the coin thing, but the final shot of the movie is the Ecto-1 going over the bridge into New York, but it's just kind of like this thrown-in shot. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about that, the whole New York scene, and, but yeah, so it's then it... Just, it's a shot, like, the camera pans down and it's floating back into New York, I get it, it's supposed to be like your feel-good... All oh, the boys are back in town, but, you know, they're not really. It's more like Winston and whoever, you know, now that's the sequel. Who are we going to hire? Who are you going to hire? But, uh, 
it's probably going to be Phoebe because, you know, she's probably grown a little bit since the filming of this movie. So yeah. more than likely she'll they'll probably write it where she's at college age. Yeah, they might be, they might be, you know, Ghostbusters in training in the next one, but, so they cut to him, and he's rolling the Ecto-1 into the garage of the firehouse, and it just ruins the whole, it's a Starbucks now. It's like, alright, if it was a Starbucks, why is it run down? Let's say he did buy the place. Why is it run the fuck down in there? Uh, you should at least have, like, uh, like abandoned coffee equipment and him going like, oh, I'm going to have to change this back to what it was or maybe even an updated, which I assume we're going to get an updated firehouse anyway. I don't assume it's going to look like exactly the way it did, um, you know, in the upcoming movie. I was surprised we're even getting an Afterlife too. Yeah, that I was not expecting. I, uh, the first I heard about it was a couple weeks ago when it was like... And they were already filming it and I'm like, okay... Yeah, a couple weeks ago, it's like, pictures have leaked of uh, Paul Rudd, da-da-da, in the new Ghostbusters movie, and uh, uh, Winston showing up. I'm like, well, I'll be damned. So maybe Gary will finally be a Ghostbuster. Yeah, I'm assuming. Um, But another question is, all right, the Ghostbusters show up at the farm. Uh, I guess... How long did it take him to round up everybody? I mean, like, I I don't know. Now, another question... Are, are, is everyone still in New York? Uh, you know, how far... He's working for SUNY something, so I believe, yeah, that's New York. So how far is Oklahoma from New York? Well, still, still you got to stretch your disbelief. Like, and again, we don't know where Winston is, but we, yeah, we have confirmed that uh, Peter is still New York-based. And assuming... Uh, they knew where this farmhouse was. They got there without a problem. But if they knew he was at the farmhouse and that he had all their shit, why didn't they ever go before? Right. So, that's another why? question. How did they know how to get to this farmhouse? Phoebe didn't give them the address. But he did. But did, Ray did mention Oklahoma. Ray did mention that he went to Oklahoma. So, Ray obviously knows where Egon went. But I still thought it was a little odd. Uh, Odd would be the right word for, I think, just how I felt about this whole movie. But I will say, now that we're at the end of it, um, especially if we're going to be doing ratings, like if I... Hold on. Before you say that, there's something I want to say. And the Back on the Firehouse, I think this movie's cameo for the Firehouse, sadly is worse than the cameo for the firehouse in Ghostbusters 2016. Yeah, and it kind of does what both of them did, where it's like pointless Sigourney Weaver cameo, and, you know. Because, yeah, the firehouse scene in in 2016, I thought was actually a pretty funny scene, because it's like, oh, we want this place. Then they see how much rent's going to be, and it's like, oh, no, screw that. Uh, So, yeah, that... That little firehouse scene worked a it's little... It's a gag. Yeah. This one, this one just kind of ruined a joke. Yeah. An established joke an hour and a half ago. Which wasn't even that funny to begin with. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, we're still doing Starbucks jokes? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so go um, back to what you were saying. Like, if I... I remember rating the 2016 one of four. So, if... 
the 2016 is a three or four. This is a still shaky, but more solid five or six. Ah. Out of ten, you know? Yeah. So for me, uh, I don't remember what I've rated 2016, um, but... This one for me, I enjoyed this one a lot. Uh, I thought it was thought it was much better than it had any right to be. But thing is, is just like with Force Awakens, uh, this all this needed to do was the difference between this and Force Awakens. Okay, all the Force Awakens needed to do was be better than the prequels, and it was better than the prequels, and that's all it did. It didn't go above and beyond being better than the prequels. Now, for this, all it had to do was be better than 2016. But I do believe this went above and beyond just being better than 2016. I'm not going to lie. Uh, I kind of like this a little more than Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, that's where I would have to reevaluate Ghostbusters 2 because I have a real soft spot for that one. I don't think it's there yet, but I didn't hate this one. Um, I think people are quick to react where, again, I had my nitpicks, I had my thoughts about it, but if this is the closest thing to a Ghostbusters 3 we are getting, um, I will take it. You know, if this is on TV, I won't change the channel, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I enjoyed the movie just fine. I just had some suggestions on how to make it tighter. Yeah. Your voice got all weird. Oh, did it? It must be Skype. Yeah. Um, but, uh... What does it sound like? <laughs> weird. You're back now. Oh, okay. It, it just sounded more distorted. Um, yeah, definitely the technology. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like... Cause Robo Frank. I like, I like part two fine, but... Uh, I think I like this movie about as much as I like the first one. I like the first one a little more, but uh, I think this is, to me, this worked a little better as a sequel than uh, the the second one. Yeah, if we're talking quality-wise, this one definitely trumps two. If we're talking, like, personal enjoyment, that's where I mean I would have to reevaluate. Yeah, because I think the big thing with me on two is, like, it starts off, and it's like, everybody's broke up just so everybody can get back together. And yeah, that's a typical sequel model. Yeah, and it gets a little annoying. And that was that was back when that wasn't such a overused trope. But by the time I saw it when I was a kid, it was an overused trope. Yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, it, that's, I think that's a fair take. Yeah, this is definitely definitely a uh, pretty enjoyable movie that was had a lot more heart uh, in it. It it did a lot more than uh, it needed to do because, like I said, it just needed to be better than 2016, and it did a lot more than just be better than Ghostbusters 2016. Um, so I don't know. I, I'd rate it maybe a seven. I don't know as a you know it's it's a little highly or above average. Uh, but I think some of the some of the weird shit that just doesn't make sense uh, kind of knocks it down for me. Um, yeah, that's totally fair. I would I would totally get that. You're just one peg above me. Yeah, it's like 
Yeah, a seven's fine because they 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 did a lot with it that uh, uh, was fun. But next to stupid shit like why is he called podcast? Uh, you know, why are they why are they setting up Egon to be? If you're trying to if you're trying to really pay tribute to Harold Ramis, why are you making his character seem to be like such a deadbeat uh, to his family and shit? So like, there's some things that you know it's like oh. But I think overall, even even going back to just repeating the first movie in the third act uh, kind of knocks it down some. But I get why they did it, so I'm not not hating on it. Uh, but yeah, definite seven, worth checking out. We can all we can all wash our hands of <clears throat> Girlbusters and move on. We can wash our hands of Ghostbusters now as well, because um, until. After like two, like we've covered it. We've covered it all. Yeah, yeah. So next, we're gonna do Bill and Ted face the music. We're gonna face the music in the basement. Yeah. Which I'm looking forward to it because I've only seen it once. I remember liking it. Um, it's kind of similar to this one, where it's like again, I didn't really think anything of it. I probably liked that more than this, but yeah. yeah. We'll have yeah. to get to it. Another legacy sequel, and another sequel they have been trying to make for ages and just could never get it done. Uh, and it finally came out, and it's another one that, like this, uh, like I said when we did our, our first Bill and Ted Retro, how the sequel was so wildly different than the first one, uh, but still made it work. The, the third Bill and Ted was still pretty wildly different, uh, and and it worked. I liked that uh, there was a lot of things in the, the third Bill and Ted that I was like, you know what? This is actually, there's, they're, god damn it, cat. Come on. They are, uh, they're paying, a, they're giving a lot more heart and taking a lot more care of it. Uh, While well, still keeping to the formula that I mentioned, that it's like, we do something, the original we go somewhere different, and now we're back to the original. It's like they, you know, Bill and Ted died in the second one, and now we're back to the time-traveling phone booth, but they still do something interesting enough with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but so, on that note, <clears throat> Basement Dwellers, this has been Afterlife, and uh, I want to thank everybody who commented. I really appreciate the feedback and uh, sharing your thoughts on the show. It's one of my favorite segments. So yeah, keep yeah. on doing that. Yeah, keep on. Uh, if you want to join the fun, uh, we we post these questions in <clears throat> the fresh from the Facebook group and in the Speaker Brains group. Uh, so just look at those on the Facebook groups. And uh, already listening to Cut to the Chase, we like to throw in when we're doing a podcast over there as well. Yeah, um, the Cut to the Chase podcast. And the dark discussions page. So yeah. that, those are yeah, because there's no more horophilia anymore. Right now, we are on. We're all part of darkdiscussions.com, and yeah. so <clears throat> no more horophilia, sadly. Uh, which to me, I I, I really uh, liked that name a little better. <laughs> yeah, the end of an era. Yeah, the end of an era, man. But uh, not gone. It's definitely not gone and forgotten. Yeah, like, most of the most of those people are still doing podcasts. I think I think the one still going hard is uh, Lacey Lou and Dan Chase. 
Everyone else has kind of moved on, or they sporadically do podcasts. Uh, but uh, but yeah, hit it up, and we'll see you guys when we do the uh, Bill and Ted episode. Make sure to stay tuned. I'll catch you guys later. Later.